and, and the reason I wanted to get you on the show was because of oh here it goes here it goes how different our views are on certain things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but here it goes. Here it goes. I, 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 I definitely. Everybody, welcome to another episode of West Coast Street Knowledge. I'm your host, Gil, aka the American Show. We got the co-host in the house serving himself some Coca-Cola. What's cracking, you guys? And uh, we got a man in the house that really, in our form, needs zero introduction. Uh, he's uh, one of the original founders out here of all this YouTube stuff. Uh, Mr. Alex Alonzo, how you doing, brother? Oh, man, I'm doing good. Uh, West Coast Street Knowledge now? What? Is that what we're calling it? That's <laughs> what it's been. It's, oh, it's been on. That's what it's been, but everybody pretty much calls it up. American I like the American Cholo though. It's not right. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. <laughs> so it's a uh, West Coast Street knowledge with American Cholo. How about that? Yeah, well, something like that. Um, right now, I, there's a question that I wanted to ask you. I know a lot of people have asked you, and you touched on it a little bit. What's up with the Gangster Chronicles? Let's just jump into that. I know, huh? Man, I'm confused myself. I really don't know what happened. I was doing the show. I was hosting the show. I was uh, coming up with the whole the show ideas. I was outlining every episode. I was writing up a script. I was doing everything on that show. And COVID hit and things changed. And uh, it's it's confusing. I was just thinking about this a couple of days ago. And and as time passes and as things start to occur more more information is coming to light and i just think ultimately uh the guy that kind of put the show together he got a little taste of hosting when covid hit through the zoom and he he got that bug he got bit by that bug and he said oh i like this hosting I don't need nobody you know i like this hosting and this is kind of interesting and i think he said well I'm going to have to get rid of somebody. <laughs> and I think that's really what it boiled down to is um, getting rid of someone so that he could have a seat. Because what I didn't know, which came to light more recently, he had a deal. Uh, you know, he was having trying to get a deal, which ultimately he has a deal with Charlemagne and iHeart. And of course, if you have a seat on the show, that's another check for you. So I, I I really don't know, man. All I could just say is that you know he wanted to host. You see him hosting it now, and um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with people's complaints and people's reactions, but no one likes him hosting the show. And there was even an episode where he said, uh, "I'm going to step back," but did he step back? Nah, he's because he's one of the hosts now. So I mean, I'm confused. COVID hit and it kind of messed up a lot of things for a lot of people, but COVID really kind of brought the original Gangster Chronicles to an end. And when the Gangster Chronicles originally began, was it with you, with you the original one, or was it with uh, James? And then it, you guys kind of got together. What happened was they did the first two episodes. It was James McDonald from Compton and Reggie Wright Jr. from Compton. They they were, It was just them two. And then they would have a guest. I think they had Bosco as a guest on episode two. Uh, I'm not sure what they did on episode one. Uh, then I get a call to come on episode three. It was sort of like auditioning me to see whether or not uh, I could command the mic and, you know, facilitate a show. And as soon as episode three was over, he was like, hey, I want you to host this. 
And then episode four is where the, f- the format changed. I came in with scripts. I came in with show ideas. I came in with what we're going to talk about because you really just can't go in there and just wing it. Uh, you got to have a little bit of structure. So ever since episode four, that's really when the Gangster Chronicles was born. And, uh, you know, I did uh, almost an entire year. I did 50 episodes. No, it, it was a it was a great show. And it, I mean, that's a sad part. The chemistry between you and the two other guys, it was beautiful. Yeah, brother. I, mean, so I don't see how they got there. And I saw him uh, put some new co-hosts on them. So I said, when I saw, once I saw that co-host, I said, oh, Alonzo's not coming back. And, and that's a shame because it has the title of Gangster Chronicles, but... Well, I can tell you that uh, I spoke to James McDonald and he asked me to he he said uh, to come back. And I said, well, I don't think I'm wanted. And he said, you need to call him. And I said, well, I'm not calling a dude that clearly doesn't want me there. Uh, He wasn't going to call me. I wasn't going to call him. But James McDonald uh, didn't. Uh, abandoned me. He up to the very end was like I, he he wanted me. He wanted me more than anybody else. But I said I'm not I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not calling this dude up. I don't really trust this guy anymore. I feel like I got backstabbed. I really feel like I got backstabbed. And I'm sure he thinks it's no big deal. But I mean I I worked on that show for an entire year. And every Wednesday, you know, there was a big chunk of my Wednesday devoted to this show. And uh, I did a lot of marketing and promotion. I put links to the show in all of my hot YouTube videos. Uh, I, I did massive social media campaign on it. I really brought the audience to that show. So for him to just kind of abandon me like that, it, it, I feel it's pretty shady. No, that, that, sh- that show without, without either, either one of you guys in there, it's, it's, it's not a show anymore. You can see the ratings. You can see the views. Nobody's watching anymore. And really, I look at it now and I go by it. I don't even I really don't. When you were on there, it was just a, yeah, the argument. It was a conversation you guys were having. How you guys were having it was beautiful. It was like a piece of art. And I tell everybody it was the collection of, because people always hit me up and say, oh, the show's nothing without you. And I always say, nah, it was, what it was was us three together. Yes. And I think Nori said it the best. He said it, the, the Gangster Chronicles was like the TV show The Wire. You got the gangster, you got the cop, and then you got the guy that researches the, the researches, researches the gangster and the cop. And he said that blend right there was magic. And yeah, um, it was us three together having these conversations. I haven't seen him since he was off. Yeah, yeah, I have. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully that guy comes to his senses. And if he was, if he was actually a smart businessman, he would swallow his pride. He would give Mr. Alex Alonzo a phone call. Because not a motherfucking super I think at this point I wouldn't even know. Actually, um, I spoke to another person from his circle that called me up and said, hey, can I get you guys to at least have lunch or dinner? I said, well, if you can make that happen, I'll do it. I waited about a week. Nothing. I waited another two weeks. So this guy clearly has moved on beyond me being a part of this show ever. Um, I'm convinced of that. But now you're starting your own podcast, right? Well, what I did was the, the first podcast I put out is the Street TV podcast, which... I'm going to take interviews that I've done and I'm going to convert them into one episode and then I'm going to provide commentary throughout the interview to give people context of maybe what was going on in my head, where we were at, what was I thinking, and then give some more meaning to what the people were saying. So I just put out the first episode on the Street TV podcast this week. Now, how are you managing with all this stuff? Because, I mean, you're busy, brother. You're throwing a lot of content out there today. Uh, man, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, sometimes I don't sleep for a couple of days or I get very little sleep or 
Um, you know, this is why I got my sons with me right now, because it's important for me to be with them as much as I can, because I'm always working. But when the weekends come, it's usually with them. So wherever I'm at on the weekend, I'm going to try to have my sons with me. And plus, I got other things I do. I consult on criminal court cases. I, I literally have like 30 cases on my desk. Uh, COVID has slowed that down a little bit. We haven't been in trial on any cases uh, since COVID has happened. In fact, we're, we're um, during our first jury selection for a adult trial in Los Angeles County this month. So it'll be the first trial happening since COVID. It will be happening this month. So I'll be getting back in the court. Um, I don't know, man, how I do it, man. I just... I, I just do it. <laughs> how, how, is, uh, how is the toll? Is there any toll in your relationship with you and your wife sometimes? You're being too busy? Because I know I'm not even half as busy. You and something like that becomes a problem. Yeah, it does. There's no doubt about it. I think uh, every relationship is going to suffer to a certain degree. Um, but, you know, you got to work through it. And I have a, my own studio office. So, for example, uh, my wife has a lot of work to do also. So I told her, come to my place, come to my office and come do work. And we spend the whole day together. So I think that was on um, that, that happens at least once a week. So we figure it out. That's right. I, I saw on your Instagram. I, I'm a fan of your Instagram, believe it or not. I saw on your Instagram. You were talking about they're using certain uh, social media on cases. Can you talk about a couple of cases where guys are getting busted and doing stupid stuff on social media where it's relating to their case? Yeah, just about every single case. Uh, if you're arrested for an assault, a shooting, a murder, the LAPD or the LA Sheriff's Department or the local city, it could be Gardena, Inglewood, they're going to subpoena all of your social media and they are going to request everything that you've deleted. They're going to request all the DMS, the private messages, and they're going to request, um, the passwords and all of that stuff. And unfortunately, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they almost always cooperate. Uh, Twitter sometimes gives a little resistance, but for the most part, you have to answer a subpoena. And um, one good example is I, I had a case. This was a really crazy case because I knew the guy's father. In fact, the the defendant, I saw him born. I, I saw him born in 1988. And here we are. Now he's a murder defendant. So um, in his particular case, he had a bunch of stuff on his Instagram that wasn't so flattering. So he called up his girlfriend while he right when he got arrested and said, hey, log into my Instagram and delete everything. So she went in there and started deleting everything. And that's the worst thing you want to do because they use that in case in the case. So not only did they bring in the Instagram, they also bring in your pattern of deletion. So there's like ladies and gentlemen of the jury. This man was having all of this stuff deleted after he was arrested. That's just, you know, that's just uh, overwhelming evidence usually against you. So, yeah, man, um, I put that post on Instagram just to let people know this is real. But that is not new either. It's not new, but back in my days when we had the um, chat line, people would get on there and start banging on each other. They had a free chat line. You all got on the phone and talked. and fools were getting busted for talking about, oh, I killed your homeboy. I did this to your homeboys. I did this to your... They're going back and getting busted. Yeah. Giving them like terms. So they, that was our idea of social media back then. So, you know, this is nothing. New. You're right. It, it, it's nothing new. It's, it's like 
wiretapping. I mean, cops been listening on people's phone calls forever. But what I wanted to do was I don't think anyone ever actually saw a warrant that says Twitter and Instagram. And I think seeing that document, it makes it more tangible to the people, especially younger people, to say, oh, wow, the LAPD is requesting Twitter information. It's not it's not there's nothing new, but the difference of the intensity of what you guys are doing nowadays. Now they're doing the crime on camera. You got a lot of guys going and doing drive-bys on camera, beatdowns on camera. Like it's like they got to show everybody. Look, 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 look how I'm banging. Now it's like they have to bang on Instagram at the same time they're banging on the streets. I got a, a little insight on that. I had talked to somebody about that one time. Right. But what are you doing putting that crap on there? And his thing was, oh, they deleted it right away. It's only out for a little bit and it's gone. They they don't keep it in record. But that's just something that they heard somewhere else, you know, that they believe that they can put it on there and the cop can't retrieve it because it gets deleted right away on its own. You know. but no, whatever you put on a computer is going to stay there oh, it's on the Internet, it's right? Case, right? They can get all deleted stuff out. The only way they can't get deleted items is if you're operating on an encrypted app. Are you familiar with encrypted apps? Yes, yes. So I would recommend, and I don't, I'm not saying this for people who are committing crimes and doing anything illegal, but if you're someone that covets your privacy and you just don't want anyone peering into what you're doing, use an encrypted app. Uh, it makes it more difficult for the police and for the feds to to monitor it. Yeah, but, but it's going to be private. Don't put it on the internet. Well, let's say, yeah, I mean, what, but let's say, for example, you want to send a photo to someone that lives in, in Brazil. Right. The only way you're going to send that is digitally. And if you want to maintain a level of privacy, the best way to send that photo would be through an encrypted app. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So, Let's talk a little bit, and, and the reason I wanted to get a few on the show was because of... Oh, here it goes, how, here it goes. How different our views are on certain things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but here it goes, I, here it goes. I, I, I definitely, listen, I got to respect you just who you are and what you do with all that, with your platform and everything else, Alonso. I just disagree with um, with a lot of stuff, especially lately right now. It's so, you know, everybody's kind of so sensitive. Yeah. So let's start off first with mass incarceration. Okay. Um, the 94 bill, right? Everybody, like even even a Biden runs from it. And, and I'm like, Biden, you shouldn't run from that bill, man. I understand what, why they incarcerated a whole bunch of people. But at the time, me personally, I thought that now I was in jail when that bill took place. I was in Wyoming for my, my first time. It the three strikes law, right? The 94 bill was the three strikes. No, the three strikes was, was the state of California bill. Yeah. The 94 bill that Biden was pushing was a federal a federal bill that that mandated mandatory minimum sentences. But go ahead. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, I personally think like bills like that at the time were correct because if you, I mean, you know, with the the, the amount of violence, gang murders, the streets, how it was in the nineties. What were the, what could they do back then different? Well, the, the my criticism against the bills is that there were a whole lot of people that went to prison that shouldn't have been arrested. So, for example, if you had a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years for a drug offense, but they didn't specify quantities that you had to be in possession of, um, a kilo of cocaine can land you in prison for 10 to 20, and a half ounce of cocaine, crack cocaine, can land you in prison for 10 to 20 years. So going to prison for a few grams of cocaine I felt was unfair. And, and then especially all the people that went to prison for marijuana offenses. Uh, marijuana was criminalized 
um, in all 50 states in the 90s. Um, now we're looking at it as um, the big mistake. Right. It's sort of like criminalizing alcohol during the prohibition period. So, I mean, there, there are certain aspects of this type of enforcement that we could look at and pull back from and say, okay, this part was probably a little over the top. This part was over the top. Even with the three strikes, the three strikes bill was inspired by the murder of, um, was it Sally Kloss or Molly? Um, I forget her first name, but we saw people going to prison that stole jeans. Um, the guy from New Park Beach grabbed a slice of pizza. Right. Went to, got got twenty years. Uh, he didn't do the twenty years, but that's the part of the of mass incarceration that I'm a critic of. Uh, the same stuff that uh, Michelle Alexander talks about in her book. So yeah, the '90s, the early '90s was one of the most violent periods, like from '87 to like '95. But did we have to put all those people in prison? That's the question I, I pose. Yeah, I, I don't think we did, but I, I think uh, to try to go back now and rewrite the law. No, obviously, like you said, now we can. We have we have to learn from it, unfortunately. I think nowadays more people know you sell dope, you do this, you're going to go to prison. But like right now in California, in California, they're trying to lower the population, right? And they passed a few laws and actually a few have been good. I just had a homie yesterday get out. He had a he had a murder conviction. He just got out yesterday, the day before. They overturned it because uh, he wasn't a shooter. You know, I forgot what law that was. They changed where, you know, usually in the car, everybody in the car gets life for one guy shooting. He got out. So that kind of stuff, I understand. But I think... Uh, California itself is just overpopulated. They're trying to get these guys out here in the streets, but when they start releasing the prison population, crime goes up, does it not? Well, I haven't seen that data. Uh, right now, as of, well, I don't know about 2020 because 2020 is not over with. Uh, we've had COVID and we've had okay, major protests. But as of 2019, uh, California was extremely low in crime. Uh, 2019, 2018, 2017. And this is the same time where we're releasing people out of California Department of Corrections. We went from 180,000 inmates in the CDC down to about 120. So we got 60,000 more people on the streets, but our crime hasn't went up in the last five years. I haven't seen anything. Now, 2020 is a whole nother story. Um, and I'm still not even convinced that 2020 is going to be that bad when it's all when the, when the year finishes. But no, I haven't. I haven't seen that data. When, but when you see the stats, it's mostly they, they play around with the stats. If this isn't a crime, this is a felony. Me personally, what I see, I see more homeless in the streets. Mm -hmm. I see more dopeies on the streets. I see more drug transitions out here in North Hollywood. I'm sure you saw a few tents coming over here where every 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 year it's getting more tent city, more like downtown LA out here. No, that's a different crime. That's a different issue. Like, if we're talking about crime, you can't play around with murders. We know how many murders happen. There's no fudging murder numbers. Right. And even though there are not a lot of murder is not always the best measurement of a crime rate, but we have that because I, I like using it because it's more it's more uh, accurate. Right. L.A. was having over a thousand murders a year in the late 80s, early 90s. We had like 240 last year. Not only did we drop by, what's that, 75%, going from 1,000 murders a year to 250, but our population went from 2.8 million in the late 80s to 4 million. So we've, all, we've increased our population by over a million and reduced our homicide rate by 75%. I also think that the, the gangs also have, uh, have something to do with that with the lack of uh, 
numbers, the numbers aren't the same as they were. The, the gang numbers have gone down quite a bit too, and I think that has a lot to do with the murders and everything else with it. Well, the city of LA says we have forty-two thousand documented gang members. Oh, yeah, they'll say he's a gang. Member. Yeah, well, that's the problem. Don't don't put anybody there because the cops. Why are you pointing fingers? The cops. Stop pointing fingers. The cops with that. The cops do go out there and try to put people as gang members. Money. But they've always done that. I actually think that during the 80s and 90s, we had less gang members than we had today. Oh, no. I disagree with that. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? We had less gangs and less gang members. The number of gangs and the number of gang members. The, the gang member population from the late 80s to about 94 was smaller than what it is today. I don't believe it. Yeah. But you see, you see the gang members are different. You can't tell a gang member now. I think it's hard to tell a gang member because a lot of them don't even dress like a gang member. But I don't think gangs... Back then we did so we could tell who they were. The, the rivalries and the level of conflict is a little bit different than it is today. Um, we're seeing gangs that used to just go wake up in the morning and just go at it. They're not even doing that. Like the 60s, the Rolling 60s Crips and the A-Trade Gangster Crips. You look at that war... From 1979, for probably 15 years after that, was crazy. They're not even thinking about each other today. And technically, that war still exists. Right. There's not a, a f- official truce, but they're not even banging on each other like it was. So this, there's been a transition to the way gangs operate. And I would argue the Rolling 60s Crips are bigger today than they were then, and so are the A-Trade Gangsters, both those gangs. Well, that's what I mean about the gangs kind of switching it up. Now, the gangs aren't as aggressive as they were because I think most older guys are telling me, you're killing each other for nothing. Let's make some money. Let's, let's do some business. Yep. Which that's one thing I will kind of, I guess, give props to like the BLM movement and all that. It's, it's awakened a lot of people to stop, you know, doing stuff like that and hopefully have a little more love. But on the other side of the token, I think it's uh, like police brutality. Let's get into that. Um, you're a very advocate on the cops. You're, uh, you're uh, I don't know, you would defund the police officer or, or where do you stand at? Well, I don't know what defund the police means because I've heard at least 10 people speak on it and they had 10 different meanings of it. So um, I am definitely a proponent for looking at the budgets of law enforcement. I mean, we do it in our military. Uh, we had military cutback budgets, depending on who's the president, because we spend billions of dollars on our, on our budget monthly, especially when we're in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we spend hundreds of millions on policing. And sometimes some of that money is being um, there's, there's a lot of pork in these budgets. I've heard cops say, uh, yeah, I'm going to do this overtime to get my kids to college. Um, and um, nine cops. Um, I posted this on Instagram. Nine cops in another jurisdiction outside of California were indicted for faking overtime. There is a lot of pork in these law enforcement budgets, and they're always asking for more and they never say we want less. So. A police budget is always growing, growing, growing. And sometimes it's not even justified why is it growing. They just want more money. So I, in, in that sense, I think they need to be looked at. It's like the teachers unit. It's like almost every... It's like every yeah, country. everyone wants more money. And here's the thing with L.A. We have 10,000 sworn police officers. We have 22 divisions. We have 4 million people. And they're always saying, we need more cops. We need more cops. We need more cops. That's their number one argument. I remember when Mayor Villaraigosa was the mayor of L.A., he would speak to the Los Angeles community and say, crime is down. We're at the lowest it's ever been since the 50s. Um, We're doing a great job. But then he'd go to Washington, D.C., and he'd say, we need more money. We need to um, hire more cops. I'm like, you were just here in L.A. saying how how low the crime was, but now you're in Washington, D.C. talking about we need to hire more cops. There's a contradiction there. And they just want more money. Yeah, well, that's 
that's why I say I don't really trust the numbers when they say, oh, crime is down. This down. Out here in my area, I don't really need to read the newspaper. I see it, and it's it's um it's definitely kind of on, a, on an upper trend. And What's on an upper trend? I would say the the gang activity for sure. Uh, a couple homicides around this area. Uh, the the dope uh, dealing around this area has definitely gone up. It, it was like I said, it was going down, but in the last, I, I think ever since uh, the last. Uh, Think they pass AB one hundred nine all that stuff. It's you could definitely see more people out here. For a minute in my neighborhood, it was, it was dead. It was nobody there. Now you go by there, you see hit ups, and it's it's more active than it was a few years ago. Well, twenty twenty is is a year that we're gonna have to really like research and understand it because of all the things that happened from protests to COVID to. Um, Law enforcement, um, I guess, law enforcement response. Um, yeah, 2020 is unique. Um, prior to 2020, though, 2019 and back, I, I think crime was at, was at an all-time low. What you're talking about is right now, yeah. right? And I think it's too early. It, it, you, you can never really talk about a year in terms of crime until the year is finished so we can look back at it and understand the trends. North Hollywood is part of Los Angeles. And when I look at the data, I always look at it more as a city. And then you could look, you could zoom in and start looking at certain areas. But at the end of the day, I want to know how many homicides happened in Los Angeles, not on my block or not on this block, because there's always going to be a a spike in one area and a decline in another area. So when you look at just your area, you might be ignoring the displacement. Maybe the surrounding area is seeing a hundred percent decrease, and it's being pushed in an area that you, that you see more often. So we got to look at the bigger trends for the whole city. And I guarantee you that we're not going to have more than three hundred homicides when uh, at the end of twenty twenty. And that's amazing for a city of our size, four million people, with the number of gang members that they say we have forty thousand, to have less than three hundred homicides. That's amazing. That's that's like um, that homicide rate would be equivalent to like 50 years ago. So you're taking those numbers and saying that's a very low number. Now, let me take the same numbers they would use for police shootings on unarmed black men. I think last year was what, less than 20? Yes. And I, I think if you watch the media, even if I watch some of your stuff on Instagram, you would think that um, your kids are out there hiding from the cops and, and, and just scared of police officers. At least that's a narrative that's kind of being pushed out there. Me, I, my kids ain't hiding from them. Like, straight up, I, I, don't, I don't really sweat them. I, I see them. I don't, I don't like most cops, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I think that that narrative of just African-Americans being murdered on the streets, being mixed by the thing, I think it's getting pushed. And with the numbers you're saying, that's less than 20 people. That's not a low number. Well, the thing about that is... Um, the narrative that they're pushing on BLM and, and when I, I see them talking on the news is, oh, I had to go talk to my son and I had to tell my son, oh, if a cop out stops you, put your hands on the steering wheel. Like, they make it seem like that's like an everyday conversation with them. Is that happening with your kids? Uh, well, I've had that conversation with my kids. Um, and I, I do worry about it because I'm not just worried about the 20 shootings that cause death. I'm worried about the hundred of shootings where they didn't they survived because about 80 percent of police shootings the, the victim survives or maybe 70 maybe 60 or 70 i might have that wrong and then i'm not just worried about those i'm also worried about the beatings and the assaults and then the unlawful search and seizures of cars so you take that 20 murders and then you take the the ones that got shot and survived okay here, here we go we got 
20 murders. Yeah. Then we have those that got shot and survived and recovered. Then we have those that got shot and have permanent injury. They're paralyzed. I mean, we can keep on going and going. So you're looking at the most extreme results of a negative interaction with the police. But there is a whole gamut of other results when that number ends up becoming 50, 100, hundreds, and then thousands when you go across the whole country. How many people get pulled out, pulled over and get pulled out of their car? handcuffed for no reason. In fact, it happened to me because I posted a video of it. Yeah. And, and that's humiliating to me. There's no reason why a professor on his way to a track meet of his son gets pulled over and then pulled out of his car and handcuffed and, st- and on the sidewalk for 20 minutes for all of my neighbors to drive by and see. That's also a part of of this whole, you know, story. This number that you're talking about. Yeah. Of all, all these, the, the murderers down to everything, trickling down to everything, the beatings. Everything. Okay. Is that bigger now than it was 10 years ago or in the 90s? Well, there's no way to know because no one is collecting data, especially nationally, on every single interaction with law enforcement by race. We don't know how often it happens to Latinos, to blacks, to Asians. So I would, I don't know. Um, With that I, being said, though, then how come they're pushing that narrative about the BLM? Wait, say that again? How come they're pushing that narrative with the BLM then? Like if, yeah, and that it's worse today than it's ever been. And why are they pushing it? If they, they don't have the data and they don't know about the races. Well, there is some data. Why are they pushing that, that narrative? Well, here's some data that does exist that might make it seem worse today than before. Since, for example, Jackie Lacey, the LADA, she's had over 600 cases where people died in police custody. And that's eight years. 600 people died in police custody. Some of them are no nothing against the police, but some of them are. But out of those 600, guess how many were indicted and charged? Probably zero. No, one. Okay. One cop. And he got charged for an off-duty shooting that he committed at, at a parking lot of a bar. So the question is, and I just interviewed um, Dream Team lawyer Carl Douglas about this. Uh, the guy that was uh, on the defense team for O.J. Simpson. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Right. He said in the interview, which I haven't posted yet, if we have 600 people dying in police custody, there's got to be at least more than one. Bad. Yeah, more than one. One bad one. More than one that's chargeable. And we understand Jackie Lacey rarely ever charges cops. You know, the police union supporter. She's not, they're not going to charge. So there, there's some data there. Um, is that 600 more than normal? I don't know. I have to look under... Uh, Cooley, when Cooley was the DA. And then we had to go back and look at on, when Ira Reiner was the DA and see at what rate. So uh, I don't know, but like everyone says, we have more cameras, we have more phones, and we're documenting this more. So I, we're definitely seeing this more. Well, I know from when I was younger, the brutality of the police were a lot worse than it is now. For the from the time that I've run across the police officers, they're not as violent as they were back in the days. Back in the day, you know, you know what you had coming. Well, it all depends on what what department you're talking about, and then what part of the department. This basically, yeah. the police department at that time, and yeah. sheriffs were probably worse than all of them. Well, the sheriffs right now are beating your ass in um, oh, yeah, they, in the in the Compton because they're that's what they <laughs> normally do. Lennox, Compton, and the um, there's another one down in South LA, and then I wouldn't the Newton division of the LAPD. Uh, everyone that tells me they're beating your ass down there, in Newton. Now. I live in the Wilshire Division. Wilshire Division is not going to beat your ass because they just have a different culture there. So it all depends on the culture of the, the specific department and, you know, the city. Then we're hearing stories in, in other states and other cities. Uh, they're whipping ass. Do you think that also sometimes it's uh, 
like lack of, lack of self-impulse because a lot of these shootings, it would just be, I understand like how you had your vision, you got pulled over. If you wouldn't have cuffed up, Alonzo may not be here. If you would have got aggressive, Alonzo may not be here. But I, I felt like I should have got aggressive. Yeah, but you're smarter than me. Yeah, but what if, if I would have got aggressive, it would have been, I would have been within my right, I would say, right legal standing to be aggressive because it was an unlawful was an unlawful, unlawful stop. But your idea of aggressive and my idea of aggressive are two different things. Well, my idea of aggressive is is physical. Okay, but, but like, you get somebody from the streets, and then you, your professor, you you might get aggressive and talk crap, and you might even struggle a little. Guy from the streets a lot of time will take flight. You know, I mean, they're going to rush them, and, and that's when they get killed. Well, you saw. Um what was the one in Boyle Heights? The 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 guy that he got socked up. He got socked up, and I think that the guy that got socked up, he could have took flight. He would have he would have been in in, in, in his right. Yeah, he would have killed. Maybe. I think he would have got killed. He would have got killed. Yeah, but it was on all rights that he should have took flight. If if the female partner would have pulled her gun out and killed him. That would have been a crime because there was no there was no lethal threat. If if the cop took flight first, as we right. saw, and he responded, and they're squabbing in the street, that's not a a, a lethal threat. Yeah, but the, the, the way they're going to get away with it is saying that she was protecting her partner. Yeah, but it was all he on was camera. Reaching for our gun. No, no, it was all on camera. It was on body cam and, a, and someone across the street. I understand that. That guy, he would have been in his legal right to take flight back to defend himself. He he didn't. He just was. I don't know if he was cuffed at the time. No, he wasn't even cuffed. He just took it. He just took it. But the thing about that is, look at if okay, say he did struggle and they did smoke him, they did kill him, then. If he, yeah, they would have been in trouble, but he would still been there. No, but you know, I don't think he would have got shot. That female, if you look at that, the female officer was actually trying to stop him. And you know what? Majority of shootings by police officers happen from men. Very rarely. There was one in the last five years I know of. Very rarely does a woman pull out her gun and feel the need to kill. And that's what I really think they need to hire more female cops because they use de-escalation. More often, that woman would have had a better conversation with that guy on that street than than that guy did. Well, in the CDC and the prison system, they would rather have a woman as a gunner because a woman, um, from what I understood, was they were talking about it was um, she's more reasonable. She's going to be more patient about it until after the fact that it happens. But up until that point, they're more reasonable than a man. But the only problem is they're, they're not as physically strong. Right. No, and it gives them the challenge out there in the field. As a gunner. Yeah. So when they're in the towers and the gunner, they would much rather have a woman than a man because a man is quicker on the trigger than a woman is. Yeah. I think also a lot of it is, like you said, if you would have got aggressive, you, you were in your right. You absolutely were. But there's a time and a place to fight that. And, and, and unfortunately, and I see it. I see it in, in brown people, but I, I definitely see it more in African American young ones, especially because it's like they just hate the cops so much. It's 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 inbred in them, and I understand. But there's a time and place. If you're gonna fight it right there, get ready to get shot, dude. You, you need to kind of tone down. Know they're you're getting recorded, and there's a place to fight. You're gonna fight it in court because if you keep fighting the streets, you're gonna keep losing. You're not gonna go, you're not going against the cops. Believe it or not, you probably save some people by by publicizing what you did. Because they seen the fact that you didn't 
take flight or, or get aggressive with them. And, and I was hot. And that, yes. Oh, I so really that, was. So that, shows, <laughs> that shows these youngsters yeah. that you can deal with this and, and still, you know what I mean, not get shot. And I got to be an example for my two sons, right. you know. So that, that was a good thing that you, you showed that. And I, I teach them to comply. And I even, I said, don't even act like me. I've, I've earned a position in society, a, a level of respect that my sons haven't haven't earned yet. And um, what's that? I'm trying to turn this mic up. Real quick. OK, um, I think a lot of times these police officers know who I am and and um, they may be a, a little reluctant to do something to me. Right. They know that they're pulling me over. They know who I am. But at the same time, they want to bust my chops. Um, but my sons are too young to have earned any level of respect in society to to mouth off at a police officer, you know? <laughs> no, I, I I got the impression when I seen it that they knew who you were before they stopped you. <laughs> that they were just harassing you. Because there was no reason to get you off the car. There was no reason to cuff you. They knew who you were. They were fucking with you. And I wasn't well, at least that was the impression I got. I wasn't even speeding either. So as soon as they, they do that, and this happens to me a lot and I don't know if it's because I'm in an Escalade, but I got an older truck. It's not as new. I used to get pulled over a lot when it was brand new. But um, one time I got pulled over by an LAPD officer for staring at him at the intersection. I was at the red light. I swear. I was, I'm at the red light and, and they're, um, they're making a left turn in front of me. And the passenger looks at me. And while the passenger is, is uh, passing me, I just stare at him while he stares at me. My light turns green. I go forward and I look. They're busting at you. So I'm, I'm waiting. I already know. When I see that U-turn, I already know they're pulling me over. Pulled me over and he said, oh, yeah, I'm pulling you over because you was on your cell phone. I was like, my cell phone is nowhere even around here. And that's just, I don't, it's just harassment. And I don't even understand uh, why are you harassing me? You know, I'm the last person that you want to harass. I'm oh, out yeah, here. You got a platform. I'm out here, you know, <laughs> yeah. taking care of my family and, and working hard every day. And you guys want to harass me, you know. But it happens maybe... Three times a year, I'd say. So, what do you what do you think is? I mean, obviously, there's no one right answer, but what do you think will help within the relationship, especially within the African American community and the police departments? What what they need to do is you got to have more black cops. If you notice, there's not a lot of black cops. There's not a lot of black cops in the LA County Sheriff's Department. There's not a lot of black cops in the LAPD, uh, and it is predominantly Mexican American. Yeah. If you look at all the p- cops in Compton. Mexican American. You look at the LAPD in uh, in all the South LA divisions; they're either white or Mexican American. And I think that black people hate the police so much, as you said, Gil. They don't even want to work for the police. I mean, we, we don't. We there's not a generation of young black nerds that want to go into law enforcement. You know, um, they rather go into the military. And I think that we need more black cops so that they can create that balance in the community when they're out there stopping them. Like Reggie Wright, who used to be the my co-host on the Gangster Chronicles, he tells me all kinds of stories of police in Compton, policing where he grew up. And not ever did he think that he was going to pull his gun out and want to shoot one of these gangsters. He knew all of them. Right. He had a relationship with all of them. He knew their families. There was a bond between law enforcement and the community to where it's very unlikely that you're going to pull your gun out and shoot that guy in the corner. That doesn't exist today. These guys don't even live in the neighborhood. And if you notice, a lot of these shootings of, of, of blacks that are sometimes armed, but mostly unarmed, are from Mexican-Americans or whites. 
Very rarely is a black cop shooting uh, someone. But I think once they get into into whatever line, sheriff, LAPD, it's they're not even colored. They're cops. They're blue. Well, how about this? You heard about the uh, the executioners? Yes. They don't allow blacks in the executioners. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there is this uh, little bit of a, a racial divide, and we're learning about the executioners because of uh, a Mexican American whistleblower. Snitch, informant, whatever you want to call it. It's crazy to, to call a cop a snitch because right, right. a cop is telling on another cop. But isn't it crazy that the snitch culture is also strong or the, oh, I should say the no snitch culture is also strong within law enforcement ranks? Well, it's probably stronger in law enforcement than it is in most gangs. Yeah. Well, like in the county, like in the county jail, if there's a racial riot between blacks and Hispanic, if I got caught and can't handcuffed by a, a Mexican... They're just shooting me to another dorm. If I get caught by a black, I'm going to the hole. <laughs> and it's vice versa. If Speak if, on that. Yeah. Because that's that what I'm is, talking about. Is, <laughs> there is racial tension. There's cops that will walk up and tell you, hey, homie, you know the blacks are going to rush you guys today. And vice versa. Hey, brothers, they're going to rush you. Because I was in uh, CRC, and I'm on the last of my term, and there was a black lieutenant named Lieutenant Chambers. And she was like, you ain't fucking with my people. Oh, what the f- you know what I mean? I'm the, this is racial as hell. They, they, they group up, you know, on both sides of the law. They, they back each other up. Regardless, it's just in the color of their skin. Yeah, there's no doubt. How many black people have told me whenever they go to the county jail and see all the Mexican deputies in there, it's, it's not going to go well. But there's a lot of black deputies at, at they do. All their shifts. They do. There is a lot. Yeah. And it goes both ways. It ain't just one way. It goes both ways. But I think it'll be hard to, well, it's not going to be hard. It, it is difficult to be an African-American police officer, especially in today's day and age, brother, because a lot of times they'll call them sellouts. They'll call them coons. They'll call them this. <laughs> straight up. Instead of calling them, hey, you know what? Like, Jackie Lacey, I, I, like, it's, it's funny how a lot of these uh, prominent African-American politicians, is that the black community is killing them right now. It's pretty much if you're not bowing down to our our way of thinking, you're no good. And when, or me personally, I'm like, damn, that's a black lady that's in high power. That's cool. That should be something you look up to. But right now, to be a cop and be black, it's it's tough. Yeah, it is tough, but we definitely have to change that. Uh, I have no problem w- with a black kid that decides, hey, I want to go to the police academy. You know, I, I applaud that. I salute that. That's a good career. Yeah, it's a great career for you. You know, my son wants to, uh, for, I don't know how, if he feels that way now, but he wants to go into the FBI. That's right. And I, I completely support that. You know, coming from someone that has critiqued law enforcement and I actually testify against him in court. I would support my son completely if he wanted to Does that go that route. Can overlook some things for me. <laughs> that, that, that's great to hear, but I think there's a good chunk that have um, aren't teaching their kids like that. There's a good chunk of African Americans right now, especially let's say quote unquote in the hood. That's f the police. You got you got little kids walking around f the police. They're like little three seven year old kids. Like no nah, man, you're, you're you're spreading the wrong message. You can critique them, do all that. But you can't, you can't raise a whole generation of hate cops because it's it's not going to go well on both sides. Well, to a certain degree, you know, you got to, the cops are partly guilty for that too. Um, we have to bridge the gap. We need, I think the chief of LAPD right now, uh, Chief Moore, is probably the best chief in the history of that department. Um, I like Bernard Parks because Bernard Parks, he fired cops. He fired you, but he ruined the morale. You know, who wants to now be a cop under you when you're firing a whole bunch? But 
Chief Moore is definitely trying to create a better relationship where he has interfaced with a lot of grassroots organizations and with black and brown folks and will come to the meetings. And, you know, I hope something positive can be birthed from that where a young kid sees Chief Moore out there and says, hey, maybe I'll be a cop one day. They do a lot of these community events where they come out and have booths and tables and they need to do more of that. And of course, they need to do less of kicking our ass, you know, at the same time. I feel like they're like the way the police um, approach things. They, it needs to be different. They need to be trained differently Absolutely. in order in order to 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 bridge that gap. And I also believe that, um, like say, district attorneys and police officer accuse somebody of something, and they proceed knowing that they didn't actually do it. But at the same time, it's their, they just want the conviction rate. I think they should face the same time that they're trying to put somebody in an innocent person in jail. Yeah. Like, you know, when I say, hey, you know what? Um, We're going to give this guy 15 years. Okay. But they know or they got evidence showing he didn't do it. And the cops know it. The DA knows it. But they still proceed because they want the conviction. If it comes out later on, they, they knew where they had that evidence, the scopery evidence or whatever, yeah. you know, what that guy was telling us. Then maybe they should get 15 years. Yeah, that, that, you know what I mean? And, and then to top it off, um, when they when they um, should be held uh, pulling their their um, retirement benefits off them their pensions their pensions and instead of the city paying for it they would come out of their no, pockets that, if they're in the wrong that was the lawsuits you're talking about yeah that's the thing you know what I mean stuff like that when the sheriffs and the LAPD get sued the city pays the, right. the lawsuits right they don't have a fund no well the the sheriffs they're part of the county so so all their money comes from the uh, the county board of supervisors. And then the LAPD, their money comes from from the city of L.A. So they actually have I know the LAPD actually has a fund for anticipated lawsuits, lawsuits. lawsuits. anticipated lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. They know they're going to have to pay out X some millions of dollars a year. Yeah. So that money is definitely budgeted into their budgets. So like that, I can get behind. Somebody said, let's defund that and let's take the money out of their pension. Yeah. Especially if you were involved in a bad shooting. And, you know, very rarely do they conclude it's a bad shooting. But, for example, I don't know how you feel about this one, Gil, but Dijon Kizzy, he was shot. The autopsy just came back, the private autopsy, 15 times. They said he had a gun. They said the gun fell when he was running. Right. Of course, when the cop sees a gun on the ground and you're standing right next to it, they're going to light you up. Yeah. yeah. 15 times. They shot this guy. Yeah, that, I'll be straight up with you. I don't feel like fifteen times because I know how fast fifteen shots will come out of a gun. It'll be it'll be a split second decision. And should they shot the guy, we can sit here and say no right now. But the the, the crazy part is if I'm the guy on the bike, that's the guy on the bike. Right? Yes. If I got a strap and I know I got a strap in the cops. I'm going to stop, brother. I mean, that's just straight up. I'm going to stop because I know I get caught with this gun. They're going to kill me. That's it. I mean, I think somewhere along the line, that part of the game has been kind of changed and kind of, oh, well, now it's like he didn't have the gun next to him. Before, he used to be, if you had a gun, it's okay. If you had a knife, they better do this. It's like they're trying to change the rules of engagement, but the rules of engagement still haven't changed. If you got a gun, especially if you're black, if you got a gun and you're black, you better freeze, brother. And I know that's kind of hard to swallow sometimes, but 
That's what's going to happen. You're going to get shot. I mean, should those cops be arrested? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Uh, should they look at it? Yes. But I think one good thing is that they finally got cameras on those guys. And it should be a thing like where if those sheriffs do not have their camera on, they're fired off the back. Before you even get into the investigation, you guys are fired with not having your camera on. But if, if you're if you're on parole, you got a strap. That strap isn't made to to put water in. That strap's made to kill. you got to stop. Well, you know what gives us a sour taste in our mouth is, for instance, that kid that pulled the gun and shot at the cop's head and missed him with the kids at the cop's feet. There was kids paying at the cop's feet. 20-year-old Hakeem Littleton was shot and killed by police early this afternoon, sparking protests on the city's west side. Detroit police gang squad members pull up on Darnell Sylvester in the white t-shirt here. He's wanted on a federal drug warrant and gives up without incident. Standing next to him in the orange shirt is Hakeem Littleton, a parolee, who the video shows pulls a 25 caliber Beretta semi-automatic from his cargo pants pocket and fires twice at an advancing officer. A closer body cam shot shows Littleton firing at the advancing officer, missing him. He shot at the cop in the head, missed him, cop dumps him, kills him, and they start rioting over it. Which one are you talking about? Compton? No, I think this is like Chicago or something. Oh, okay. yeah. And I was like, dude, he shot at the cop. They were, they were arresting his homeboy for, for some kind of shooting or something. When they were arresting his homeboy, he starts backing up, and he pulls, pulls up the gun, shoots at the cop, misses his head. Then the cops shoot him. Next thing you know, he got rights. It's like, and it, that's the that's what gets the sour part is when you're you you gotta you gotta it's like crying wolf. You 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 you're doing something. Okay, Floyd, wrong, dead wrong. There's nothing yeah, about him. Absolutely. But then you, the opposite. You got this guy shooting at a cop, and and you still got the right, and you're still rioting. It's not to me. That's where you lose the argument. You know what I mean? That, that's where we disconnect from from the from the BLM movement. As far as the BLM, Black Lives Matter, absolutely, brother, absolutely. Your kids matter all day long, brother. And and I support that all the way as a as a thought as a whole. But when they start pushing every little thing that actually like no, did that the black community? Yeah, we agree on the black community. We don't agree with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. To us, it's two different things. Well, I think there's Black Lives Matter as an organization is what you're talking about. Yes. But then there's there's the Black Lives Matter movement, which is just people all over the country, right. which is separate and disconnected from the Black Lives Matter organization. So I, sometimes when people say Black Lives Matter, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Can you can you explain to me what's so offensive about somebody saying all lives matter instead versus Black Lives Matter? Because all lives have always mattered. <laughs> Historically, all lives have mattered. Okay, there's never been an issue that not ours, not ours. Well, yeah, I, I, we're, we're in the same boat as you guys. That's white, what we, white lives have always mattered. Yes, that's that's okay. No, cop no, lives have always mattered. Yes. When a cop gets killed, you see the reaction, or even get the shot. You saw these two deputies in Compton get shot. Yeah. They raised almost a million dollars in less than a week for reward. But if one of us gets killed. A reward is not coming until the next year when they can't solve our case. Right. Then maybe they'll put ten thousand, twenty, or thirty thousand for a reward to catch our killer. Right. But they already got a million in a week for two deputies. So whose lives matter more? No, obviously the cops. <laughs> you know? According to them, everything everything's about them. I understand that. But when you're doing the but Black Lives Matter, right? They're marking down. A, they're marching down the community. That's kind of like infringing on everybody else's that not even participating in their rights. You know what I mean? On how they feel. Uh, there was a white lady that got killed because she said all lives matter. And they killed her. 
I won in the marches. Okay. And she should have said that. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like when you walk you into know, a you, hostile environment, yeah. just like you said, you're running with a gun yeah. and the police, you better stop. Now, yeah. if you go into a hostile environment where people are mad that their loved ones are being shot and some of them getting killed and you start to chastise that group, you're going to get your ass whipped. Yeah. But to me, it's like, uh, you're infringing my rights. There was one showing that the Black Lives Matter went into this. Uh, but all lives matter. Patty. No, and all, I, I do. Let, really let me translate what all okay. lives matter means. Okay. It means white lives are more important than your life is. White lives are. That's a, a a code or that's a whistle for white supremacy to say all lives matter. Okay, but that's your opinion. And I'm not, I don't mean to be offensive, Alex. I, I love the shit. I love the shit out of you. I, to me, that's offensive. Because you're taking away from how I feel about it. I feel all lives matter. And I'm not just thinking whites, blacks, Mexicans. I'm not thinking just any race. See, to me, when I say it or my daughter says it, it's actually, you know, that's how we feel. If I knew what people were going to think in 2020 about this Black Lives Matter, and if I was the creator of Black Lives Matter, I would have changed the name of it. I would have said Black Lives Matter 2. I would add a T-O-O at the end of it. Just to... And yeah. your argument. Okay. Right. You know, no, 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 <laughs> that is we, we are, we just sat here and said everybody's lives matter. Um, blue lives matter way more than anyone else. Police. Apparently. White lives have always mattered. We didn't have to say that, but black and brown lives haven't quite mattered that much lately. That, that, that's the thing that like, even used to the first, who else? And like, we have, and, and, and that thing as brown people, brother, we don't get any kind of representation. You, you said we have a lot of a lot of like sheriffs and cops, yeah. But as far as where the real power is, nah, the brothers have that power too. There, a lot of them are moving up in politics. A lot of them are are pushing agendas, and needs more power to them. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And well, they're from this soil, so I have to give it to the African Americans. They're from this soil. They were brought here. They were raped, pillaged, and brought here. And I think they've earned their political power, the little bit of political power that that right, African Americans so have, have more political power than we do. Yeah, and it'll be sometimes when, at some point, all of this political power is going to shift, especially in California, yeah, to the Latino side. We already see that Miami is ran by Cubans. Right. They got Cuban mayors, Cuban police chiefs, Cuban fire to. chiefs, and it's going to happen here in Los Angeles at some point. But because of what blacks have endured in this country and even in this city. Going back to the 1600s, I mean, why not have a little bit of power now? Well, see, look at this is another guy. They have Black Lives Matter written on the street up in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They shut down two blocks to paint it. So they went and go get a permit from the city to do it. Hey, I want to put Black Lives Matter. The city granted it, okay? But if I were to go over there and say I want to put Brown Lives Matter, they're not gonna knock, because it's, gonna it's not the climate it's, right now. George Floyd not. was just killed on camera in front of us on social media. Because of that, we're seeing all of this stuff. If George Floyd was not murdered like that, you wouldn't have seen the mural on Hollywood Boulevard right now. That wouldn't even No, exist. it's not a mural. It's, uh, it's on the floor. It's a big black well, Technically, it's a mural. It's a mural. Yeah. The, the way that they got the permit is to permit it as a mural. That concrete mural, whatever you want to call it, would not exist without George Floyd being killed right in front of our eyes. So we're seeing the post-George Floyd error. And there'll be an error where we start to shift our attention to other groups. But you don't think that that um, is a wrong message for a kid, my, like my kids or his kids? You don't think that's a black... No, that's because a, we got to be united. Me, to me, yeah, exactly. I think black exactly. and brown needs yes, to be united. should be united. Because in the 60s, the Black Panthers and the Brown Berets, they functioned together. Okay, but... 
when it says black, you use, lose that unity as far as we're concerned. Or I'm not saying speak for him, but my thoughts on it, we we lose that unity because it ain't about us anymore. It's about you. Well, and that's what I don't like my kids seeing. I see what you're saying that you're, you feel like it's not as inclusive, but this is the post George Floyd era. George Floyd was black. He was killed by a white cop. He was killed on basically live television. And but why does it make it more important that you you guys can voice your opinion, but it's offensive if we voice our opinion? All of a sudden, it's racial. Even the brown man speaks up and says, "I'm not cool with it." Then it's racial. I don't think people will be offended. A lot of people are. Oh, they, oh, they will. You better put the comment section. They're yeah. Well, oh, they're gonna be all over me. Trust me. Yeah, well, you're gonna see me hanging from a Mexican tree. We can't let the comments kind of uh, shape the way we view the world, but. Um, I've been to about, I don't know, five or six of Black Lives Matter protests, the ones that are the anti-Jackie Lacey ones. And it is heavily supported by brown and white people. No, it is heavily supported. So I'm seeing a good representation of brown people there. And they're holding up the Black Lives Matter signs. But then at the same time, they're holding up smaller signs like um, Brown Lives Matter, uh, LBGT Lives Matter. There's like five or six other sub-Lives Matter signs that are being held, too under the banner of Black Lives Matter. And it seems like everyone is cool with it. But to me, you guys bit into the narrative with the way they're putting out on the media. Because to me, when Floyd got killed, it wasn't a black man that got killed. It was a man that got killed by the cops. Yeah, and that's the way they should have portrayed it in the media, saying a man was held down eight minutes in what forty six seconds. But you're something like that. You're not. You're erasing his blackness as maybe uh, an influence of why Officer Derek Chauvin put his knee on that neck. But you can't say distinctly that it was because of his color. That he killed him. But you can't deny that that's a possibility. You can't, yes. And historically, it's a strong possibility that he kept his knee on that neck for eight minutes because he was black. Okay, I understand that. But there's a slight chance that it wasn't that. He just didn't like the man. And and to me, when you go to the media, it should have been a man got killed. They had him on his neck for eight minutes. This shit's wrong. But no, the media went to, it's a black man. Which caused it. You, you understand what I'm saying? Well, if that? the media did not point out that he was black and just said it's a man, people would be critical to say, hey, how are you ignoring the possible role that race played here? But that's a word. That's a key word. Possible. It's a strong possibility, Sonny, when you look at this thing historically. Oh, yeah. But you're one of the you guys know? that go to court and fight for people on that small possibility that it might not be. What right? Do you, what do you mean? When you go to court and you fight for somebody... Use that it possibly might not. There's that small that small percentage that said it's not. It might be possible he wasn't thinking like this. But then when you're using it with the BLM, it's, oh, we're using that small possibility. Well, when I'm in court, I think that possibility of innocence or or being the victim of trumped up charges, that possibility, that, that window gets bigger and bigger. I believe that a majority of our defendants sitting in L.A. County Jail are overcharged. I believe that more than half of them have gang enhancements that are unlawfully applied. Well, you know me. I get that 186.22. Yeah. Okay. I'm one of very few that have that. I can't get a passport because of it. But I'm telling you, and I know it's overcharged, but it's that possibility that I'm talking about that you're, you're, you're saying it was this, 
But what if it wasn't that? What if it was just say he had a bad so day, he, that, that he, bad day, that day? What, what you're telling me, what you're telling me, Sonny, is you need Officer Derek Chauvin to tell you, yeah, I put my knee on his neck because he was black, which is never going to happen. Right. You but know, you need, <laughs> that's no, the only no, one. That's no. what you need. And that's not going to happen. You know, we have to be able to read between the lines, look at things historically, understand the history of but Minnesota, is, Minneapolis, Minnesota. But it ain't just with Floyd. You'll be here for two hours. All of these. No, but I'm saying it's just with Floyd. No. Did George Floyd get a boot on his neck because he's black? I'll say yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that cops look at black and brown people less than. What about the guy at Wendy's? Huh? What about the guy at Wendy's? The guy at Wendy's, he had a gun. Okay, but ask him. Yeah, ask me. (laughs) The the gentleman at at Wendy's. In Atlanta, Georgia. In Atlanta, Georgia. The cops went over there and talked to him for about 30, 40 minutes. Was it because he was black? in the drive-thru line. You're, you're, you're blocking traffic here. You were sleeping when I walked up here. What's up, man? You used to have a long day or something? What's up? All right, yeah, you can't, you just, you're walking, people calling said you were walking here, all right? You good? You don't need a ambulance thing like that? Are you just tired? All right, man, just, just. I'll move my car. Just pull up. Just pull somewhere and take it out. All right. All right. You good? Yeah. All right. There's a there is a significant chance that if that guy was not black, that police sh- that police stop would have lasted five to ten minutes. He was drunk. Yeah. What did he tell him? Drive. Pull your car up in the in the spot and call someone to come. But he ran over the curb. After that Cops will came. give the benefit of the doubt to not to, to white people, non-blacks and non-browns more times than not. I, I, now, you're right. We can't prove that that stop was inspired by race. But historically, again, I, I get the historic because he's black. No, but that stop. No, that guy was asleep in the drive through. Somebody called him in. They went in. And this was right after George Floyd. So the cops OK, okay but how many people? are asleep in a car when the cops come and just tell you, oh, pull over there and call your wife to come pick you up. That probably happens thousands okay. of times a year sm- to white folks. He smelled like booze. The guy and was drunk. You could tell when he was talking. He was in the drive through line. He's so drunk that he was able to... Um, to he was in the drive through line when yeah, he fell asleep. Yeah. He was in the drive through fell asleep. He, he's drunk. At the point 
where he started hitting those officers and going for the Okay, wait, wait, wait. We're not even at the point where we're starting hitting. We're talking about the 30 minutes. Let's get there. The 30 minutes. Let's, 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 let's not even get to that part yet. Why are the cops on this dude for 30 minutes when we know that if this person was white, it would have been a five to 10 minute stop. They would have told him, look, you're a little intoxicated. Pull your car over here. You're not on the street. Just call your wife to come pick you up. And it's over with. That happens thousands of times a year. I'll tell you why I think. I think it was right after the George Floyd incident. These cops are trying to give this guy See, every single opportunity to have a conversation <laughs> and not look like they were being aggressive or being racist towards him. So they gave him 30 minutes. Most cops are going to give you 30 minutes. They're going to cuff you up. You're going in. And then all the whole video, the cops are being very respectful, very calm. Even the guy, he's very, very cool. But then from one second to the next, the guy starts hitting the cops again. What do you think is going to happen when you start hitting cops and going for the guns? You're going to get shot. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, but that's that. all of that happened after the fact. Yeah. Absolutely. So there was no de-escalation in this shot. Stop. There was never an escalation. Well, there was a there was a point where one of the cops realized, I'm taking this man to jail. Okay. Even though even though we give the benefit of the doubt to people who've done the exact same thing that that brother has done many okay. times before. Now, let me explain. He fell asleep in the drive-thru. Cop, you know what? Pull over to the side. I'm going to let you sleep it off. But he goes over the curb. That's when the cop was like, man, now it's too much. So let me call an expert on H on DUIs because I don't want to get into it with this dude. So that a good part of that 30 minutes was waiting for the DUI expert to come and do the thing. And then he gave him the utmost respect when he performed the DUI. Yeah, but the, the- and told him, I'm going to have to cuff you up. You're going in for DUI. What's this brother's name? Look, because um, we're talking about the dead and we ain't even I'll referring to his name. Yeah. And then when he starts... Rashard Brooks. Yes. Thank and you. And then when he starts, you know, he starts fighting and struggling. What do you expect the cops to do if the guy shoots a taser? Well, let me ask you this, Sonny. Was Rashard Brooks on his best behavior during that mm-hmm. stop? In the beginning. Yes. Up, up until the conflict. Yeah. Yes. For about how many minutes was he on his best behavior? Was it just five? Was it 10? Uh, was it 15? Was I, it about 20? Up to the point when he hit the cop, that best behavior doesn't mean anything. Okay, but how long do we have to be subjected to a police stop? Um, if, if this is a DUI, he should have been arrested much sooner. Why wait? I think it was actually 35 minutes, 40 minutes. He was waiting for the DUI expert to come. Because the George Floyd thing just happened and and right now, a cop trying to sit there and just get aggressive with a black guy handcuffed because right away they're going to say No, that one cop that got shot with the taser? Yeah. Actually, call a DUI expert to come in, and there was time lapse right there. I didn't know you have to call in another cop to, he to did. arrest. He did. He called the DUI expert. They wanted birthday intent to, you know, have a good time, and I said, "Babe, you know, I'm hungry. Let's go." My 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 baby's mom, she was there. I said, "Babe, go ahead. I'm cool. You know, here's the money for the blow up bed tomorrow. Here's the money for." You know, to enjoy herself tomorrow. Just, you know, give me a burger or or something. To, right. Just take me home. I'm ready to go. So you had about one and a half drinks, but you don't remember what kind of drinks they were. No, sir. All right. I really don't. Miss All right. I think you've had too much to drink to be driving. Put your hands on your back for me. Yeah, put your hands on your back. Hey, hey, stop fighting. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. 
You're gonna get tased! You're gonna get tased! Stop! Mr. Rod! Stop! Come on, man. Stop! You're gonna get tased! Mr. Rod! Hands off the fucking taser! Huh? Hands off the taser! Stop! Hands off the taser! Everybody was acting civil. Everybody was acting right. So sometimes it's, why do they get aggressive so quick? They were acting right. When the cop, when that guy hit the cop, that's when he changed the whole narrative. Now I'm, I'm hitting the cop. When did that become okay? I'm not saying hitting the cop was okay, but I'm saying we're, we're talking about the 30, 35, 40 minutes right. before all of that happened. Right. The way that that stop took place, the way that they they, it they was, questioned it. It wasn't a stop. Somebody yeah, it wasn't even a stop. Okay, so some, it wasn't the cop racially profiled this man. He was in the drive-thru, fell asleep. Somebody called, hey, there's a guy sleeping in the drive-thru. And he's blocking the drive-thru. Really? Okay, but he wasn't driving. Uh, you, how do you get a DUI and you're not driving? Oh, you get a DUI being in the back seat. You're still getting a DUI. Well, it depends on which state you're in. California is DUI. No, if you're, if you're, no, in California, if you're behind the steering wheel in a stopped car, you can get a DUI. So if you're, Obviously, if you're sleeping it off, you got to make sure you're sitting in the passenger seat. You'll get a, in DUI. But he was in California. You'll get a DUI if you're in the back. If you have control of the keys, it doesn't matter where you're. Okay, at. but if you're, if you don't have the keys, well, you better throw them yeah. away somewhere. But my point is, the guy was in a private parking lot, and he wasn't driving. But he was in the drive-thru ordering food. That's he, where he the car feet. wasn't moving. Okay, but we're talking about D, DUI means you're driving your car under the influence. What's the D in DUI stand for? It, it, it driving under, under the influence. No, was Rashard Brooks driving? Yeah, he was driving. No, he, he was not. Asleep. He was not driving. The only time he drove was when the cop told him to pull your car over to the parking spot. See, but that, that, you know? right, that right there. I'm telling you, this is going to go to court, and, and the cops are going to end up paying a whole. The city oh, no, of Atlanta is going to pay a lot of money. They're going to pay. Yeah, but is that is that cop gonna get a charge? Uh, what did he? I think yeah, the cop. Charged. One of the cops yeah, charged charge charge. murder. You, you, you capital murder. If I couldn't be a cop. I could, Gil could not be a cop because if I got a gun, too somebody, short. Somebody shoots at me with a taser. You're too short. I'm, I'm a bust on you. I'm a bust on you. I mean, I straight up, if somebody shoots at me with a taser, especially if it's my taser, I'm gonna bust. Okay, you. but we're talking about training that cops should have. There right. should be de-escalating training. Just because a guy has possession of your taser, uh, and, and before this incident, tasers were not lethal weapons. Uh -huh. Now all of a sudden, they're lethal weapons. Okay, wait, wait, you know? there's a difference. There's a lethal weapon when it's hitting a certain part of the body. But it's hitting in head, it can be fatal. Yeah. Okay? He shot towards the cop's head, just above the cop's head. So it could have been fatal. And if he would have hit him, say he would have hit him, who's to say he didn't turn around and grab the cop's gun after he shot him? I mean, now we're talking about hypotheticals. Right. Yeah, but hypotheticals, and this guy socked the cop, dude. This guy got aggressive. Okay. Got to hit the cops. I don't, I don't understand. What so does that mean we got to kill Rashard Brooks? Rashard, basically you're saying Rashard Brooks must have died. And he had to die. I'm, no, I'm saying Rashard Brooks put himself in a position that got him killed. By, by hitting that cop, not by being the UI, not by pulling over. The second Rashard Brooks hit that officer, started going for the guns, went for the, this thing well, happened. Like, wait, wait. He put himself in that position to get killed. Yes, he wasn't going for the gun. He grabbed the taser that was in the, in the officer's hand. Right. Okay, you said he was grabbing I, for the gun. I, 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 but I say it could be lethal with shot in the right so spot. If somebody is trying to taser you, instinctively you're going to try to stop the taser by grabbing it. Okay, you but know? instinctively you're not going to turn around and shoot at the cop with them either. But, That's not instinctively. But, but it wasn't that. He, he we, we keep forgetting, he hit, socked the cop. Okay, times, right? punching a police officer in the face, does that mean you should... I was just telling my sons a story on my way here yeah. where my uncle actually had a physical fight with an NYPD officer right. and knocked him out. And this is in the fifties. This is a, a during a period where you fought you fought cops. Right. 
in the fifth, I think things started to change in the sixties and seventies. So if you got into an altercation with a cop and you guys wanted to really fight, the cop will take his stuff off and give it to this partner and will squabble up with you. Okay, but so, he didn't get shot for hitting the cop. He got shot because he shot the taser in his I head. I know, but Gil is saying once you start punching the cop, then everything... No, you have escalated this thing to a whole different ballgame. But shouldn't we train cops to learn how to take a couple of punches? I mean, we've all taken punches out here. I don't. We've all taken punches I out here. I can't take a punch and get away with it. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, like if you punch a cop, Boom! The, the punishment is death. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't know where uh, where everybody's at from, but I'm gonna tell you right now. In North Hollywood, you punch a cop, you go after his taser. Ninety percent chance you're gonna get shot. In, in, in today's climate, for sure. No, yeah, it's always been bad. I think. No, it hasn't always the, been like that. The rules of engagement haven't changed, and all of a sudden it's like we gotta change the rules of engagement, dude. Thirty minutes. No, in the cops. What do you think is gonna happen? In the, in the fifties and sixties, you used to be able to fight a cop. I used to get stories from my dad and yeah, uncles yeah, all the time. Yeah, but in the fifties and sixties, you were a boy and I was a spit. I wasn't even born. No, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. other kind of people were, were were we were nothing to, in the fifties and sixties. You can't compare it to today's day. But let, let's take it to another one. It's um, Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor was uh, was the African American woman. What's what city was it in? Louisville, Kentucky. There you go, in Kentucky. That the cops went over there. And she was shot and killed. I think uh, the narrative is that she had nothing to do with it, that she was assassinated in her in her apartment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the media won't show a lot of the stuff that, that, that happened to transpire in that case. It wasn't no knock warrant. They did knock. You don't know that they knocked. You don't, you don't know that they're not. The grand jury l relied on one witness that said that they uh, identified themselves. How many witnesses also said that they okay, couldn't say anything? We, before we even get into that Wait, this is an important oh, point. No, before, okay, before you guys even get in and understand that that warrant was not for Breonna Tate. Um, okay. Right. It wasn't. It, no, no. It was for the that address. Was the address. Yeah. It was not for her. She wasn't accused of anything illegal. But real quick. That's the first thing. You're That's right. The first thing you have to understand. You're wrong. One witness said they knocked. How many witnesses said they didn't hear the cops say anything? A few. Ten. But. Ten witnesses. So in a court of law, you got ten people saying my son Nicholas did it, but you got one person saying Miguel no. did it. Who two, do you believe? You got two people. I think Miguel did it. He looks like <laughs> he's up to no good. You got two people that said they heard. Well, according to the Kentucky the, AG, the the Daniel shooter, Cameron, the, said they had the one witness. Said he heard a knock. He just didn't hear police. The guy, her boyfriend, who shot the first time. That's nothing. Uh, okay, he, show he, me a video where the cop, where where, where Mr. Kenneth. What's his name? Kenneth you know, Walker. No, no. In, you, the, in the transcripts of the grand jury, it says there. I don't that, trust that. Th this is all being manipulated. He, he said it himself. The guy. Okay, Kenneth Walker. The, the, the guy. The, guy the, the shooter said it. Yeah, I have he, never seen oh, a video no. of Kenneth Walker saying that he heard the cops identify themselves. Right, so let, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> no, it's not about agreeing to disagree. No, what are the What is the evidence? The evidence is on paper. As soon as the thing happened, he said, "Hey, I thought somebody. I heard a knock. I didn't hear anybody say. I shot one time. And if okay." If, if no, he didn't hear a knock. He heard they're banging. Okay. They're they're breaching the door, Gil. If, if when you hear so, there's a difference between a knock and you hear someone pounding the door to break it down. I want to say they were out there for ten or fifteen minutes knocking, and then finally knocked the door down. Oh, now, now let's get let's get back to the let's get back to the whole part of the trial. It was uh, not even a trial. What, what happened, right? This is as far as I know. I'm sure you, I'm sure you know some other stuff, and I would love to hear it. She was on warrant. The house was on the warrant. They have her on phone calls in the county jail after her first boyfriend got busted. Her pretty much saying, hey, go to the trap and grab this money for me. So to me, it was almost like Breonna Taylor was like, oh, you got guys in prison? And she was kind of mewling for the guy. 
and, and they have and, and then in her car that she rented they found a dead body in her car from one of her boys so all this stuff it, it wasn't like did she deserve no of course not but let's look at the whole thing that really happened she's involved with her old man who's slanging dope they find a dead body in the car that she rented and they have her on phone talking about yeah, but, the trap house pick up the money. Yeah, but the fact is, the warrant was not for her. It was just for the resident. And first of all, you, you're accepting... That, I'm, not a, I'm not agreeing with you or, or him. I'm just saying, no, you better there was that. a warrant that, that just for the specific property, not because of her. Here's the problem with these cases. In the, in the beginning of these cases, there's all this evidence, like you just laid out, these, right. Bri- these Brianna quote-unquote facts. Once... I go to trial on a case. We start to find out, okay, fact number one, that's a lie. That We don't got to worry about that one. Oh, fact number two. In some cases, we end up finding out all these facts, none of them are true. Right. So you're treating these facts about Brianna as, as like they're in stone. And we don't even know that. But at the same time. And now we find out the attorney general, what's his name, Daniel Cameron? brother. This guy is a liar now. This guy's trying to suppress the information that took place in that grand jury so that we don't hear about it because he knows that he manipulated and the presentation. Facts? Yeah. Because how is that? In the state of, and, well, he filed a motion to, to suppress. Okay. But a, a judge. Saying, how, do, how do you know that what you're hearing and, and your conspiracy with it? How do you know that? Because a juror, one of the grand jurors saw his press conference and said he's full of shit. We need that. We need this information to be public. So what did Daniel Cameron do? File a motion to suppress that. I don't want that to become public. Why? Because that his whole press conference will end up becoming a lie. He, he manipulated the presentation to that grand jury so that they would have a particular outcome. And, and we all know this because one grand juror actually filed a motion to make this public. So we don't even know all the facts, but I can tell you this, Gil. A lot of these facts about Brianna, yeah. they're not true. And we, one that we do know for a fact is, oh, Brianna was getting mail of, sent to her house. Drugs were being shipped to her house. Police officer wrote that on the warrant. Well, how did you know that, officer? Well, I spoke to the post office and they verified these deliveries. Nice so guess what? None of that is true. The USPS has denied that they ever verified to the police department in Louisville or to that judge that signed the warrant that Brianna ever received packages. So when we see that one lie, Gil, how many of these other things are lies too? I get that, but let's let's at least put the facts out there. Did they have a warrant for her home? They had a no-knock warrant for her home. Yes. Yeah. So the, when the first thing came out, they said that they had the wrong house. They completely did, like, the wrong apartment. And it was a narrative that got spewed out there, and it just got worse That's and worse. the media. That's the media, and they do that for every yeah, case. But, but, but the media that happens was, in every but, case. But a lot of people run with it, brother. They run yeah. with it as the truth. And just like how the, of course, uh, the, the D and all, they're full of it. They're trying to cover their ass. It'll take a year before the, all the truth comes out. But, but well, the well, media does that with every case. I don't even... I don't even trip on that anymore because if, if you and I get arrested for something, the first story that the LA Times covers, it's going to have about 30% lies. That's just, that's just the way no, it is. I'm more like 70%. Maybe 70%. There's always going to be lies and misinformation in the initial stories. And the reason is because they're all um, competing to get the story out there. So even in this short time, when did that happen? Back, how many months ago did this happen? Like, no, the shooting actually happened, I think, like last year or something. Was that, um, I thought that was early 2020. Nah, it was early 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just say it's six months have passed. And in these six months, we've learned quite a few things. Some things that we learned that aren't true. So I know you want to beat up the media, but that's just, that's just the name of the game. Yeah, then the media pretty much controls everybody else's narrative. You got people thinking. Because we're the media too. Yeah. yeah, And if you notice, when I did the Gangster Chronicles, how did I start the next episode 
Every time I did the next episode, how did I start it off with? A fact check of the things I said in the previous episode. Some things I might have got, I got the wrong year on this or this information. I always corrected myself in the next episode because we, we're not perfect. Absolutely. We always want to make mistakes. Always just, well, you were just saying that you didn't like the, the narrative that the media put out there. And you're right. The media got a bunch of things wrong. Was she laying in her bed? Uh, we don't know. That's probably not true. Well, if, if, I'm, if I'm her boyfriend at the time who shot the weapon one time, right? And I'm thinking somebody's breaking into my house. Why am I only going to shoot once? Yeah, that's, that's, that's weird. I think he shot it. Oh, shit, the cops. That's, 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 <laughs> yeah. when, that's when he kind of figured it out. It's the cops. And, and that's why the cops shot back because they got fired. Hey, shooting is a very personal thing. When you pull that trigger, sometimes you're going to let off a whole bunch. Sometimes you're going to just pop off one or two. I can't critique Mr. Walker for just busting one time. Because it's a very personal thing. Um, Do they have cameras? Do the cops have cameras when they no, the thing? No cameras anywhere nope. on anything. No, no body cameras, um, unfortunately. But I don't blame Kenneth Walker for doing what he did, and I don't believe. I really don't believe that they announced themselves and they knocked. I believe they had a. No- if you have a no knock warrant, why are you knocking? Right. <laughs> There's no need to knock. You think the police are gonna? give up any power when they they have a judge that says you got the power to just bulldoze that door and go right in oh but we just decided not to do that we decided to just knock and, and stay outside for 15 minutes you believe that you really believe that gil no i, I don't i don't believe all that but I, cops are just I, as quick as I, anybody this else this is how i have a problem with the with the three cops i think only one got charged for like shooting into the one of the apartments somewhere right I think those cops themselves, it's hard to charge those guys and blame it on them because it's, and I may be wrong, maybe those guys were part of the investigation because to me, it's like, we go into a room, these are the officers, I'm sorry guys, we're going to a dope, as far as the cops know, they're going in there, we're going to a dope house, this is a known stash house, this is this, this is that, so they're going in there already thinking, this is kind of dope house, they're not thinking about, oh, Brianna's in there, no, they're not, they're going in there thinking, I'm serving a warrant for a dope case. If anybody should get charged or fired, it should be the detectives that pushed that agenda. I agree with you because the the guy that got the warrant wasn't one of the cops that was there during the, the breach. The one that lied to the judge about the packages being mailed, he wasn't one of the three cops. Um, and we're not even talking about that guy. I think his name is uh, Josh Joshua. That um, guy should be charged. Um, yeah, I mean, lying on a warrant to get a judge to sign it should be a felony. It probably is a felony. Yeah. So I'm saying, that's when I say... He should be looking at the time that he, he tried to put on a manslaughter. Or something, yeah, at least. Um, he should be looking at that time that he's trying. But to then you have these three cops that are acting off of what this other cop is, quote unquote, investigating. Yes. And um, I mean, it's, it's a tough case because I understand it's hard to prosecute those three cops for killing Brianna. I understand that because they return fire. Yeah, they return fire. But those three cops should have never been there in the first place. But that's- that warrant was was signed under false pretenses. So that should be some sort of uh, negligent homicide, yeah, some yeah. L- lower manslaughter. Military manslaughter or something. And you caused her death. You caused her death. With that, I agree. And Attorney General Daniel Cameron did not present all the possibilities to that grand jury. And we're going to start finding out in the next few weeks what actually happened in that room privately. Right. Yeah. I think they're, they're going to release all the recordings and everything, right? Yeah, the, I think they already released one of the audios right. of what happened there. So how how about um, should we take a break, though? Are you tired, old man? Dude, look at aren't you getting hot? I know he's getting hot. I can see it. Oh, you gotta play. 
So baby, what's the movement? Oh, you got your people speak on it. It's time to prove it, prove it, prove it. It's time to prove it, prove it, prove it. Before we lose it, oh, you got a plan. So baby, what's the movement? Oh, you got your people speak on it. It's time to prove it, prove it, prove it. It's time to prove it, prove it, prove it. Before we lose it. Oh, you got a plan? Yeah. So baby, what's the movement? Oh, you bout your people speak on it, it's time to prove it. Protesting rights, our people bout to lose it. Emiliano Zapata wants deep up in my music. Revolutionaries, they call me when I rap. Pancho Villa featuring Guevara on the track. Yeah, so that's what I think. I think we should definitely have a third option as far as parties go. So let's take that conversation there. What do you think? Democrat, Republican? Neither. Um... I don't care how many people think that you got to side with one of these parties, but I really don't put too much, you know, uh, emphasis or support in national politics. It's important. Yes, it is. But in my everyday life and on most of our everyday lives, you know, who's on the Supreme Court really doesn't matter to me. I don't care if the Supreme Court is 6-3 conservative, 5-4 conservative, 5-4 liberal. Um, everyone gets their turn. If you notice in politics, you're going to have Republicans winning and then you're going to have a Democrat winning. And then we're going to go back to Republicans and it's going to come back to Democrats, whether it's the presidency or whether it's the Senate, or whether it's the uh, whether it's Congress. They all take turns and I also don't think that we should even be trying to influence the outcome because, you know, I think a lot of this is is prophesied. A lot of what's going on in our American government is prophesied. Maybe we're, maybe Trump is supposed to be the president. Maybe this is answering some biblical prophecy that we don't understand. So I just let the chips fall where they may. And, you know, I just deal with life as it comes. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that. Most of these politicians, it's like a WWE show, bro. In front of the cameras, they're fighting one another, they hate one another, but then once uh once the cameras are off, they're they're inviting each other to their to their weddings and everything else. It's crazy. I, I'm kind of very surprised that the two candidates are seventy four and seventy seven years old. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of American politics where both the candidates are in their seventies. In fact, I don't think we've ever had a candidate in their 70s because I think when Trump, Trump is the oldest president we've ever had. Is he? Yeah. Reagan was, Reagan was the oldest. He was elected at 69. He had two terms. So he left office, what, like 78? But I think, I think Trump was, maybe he was 69 maybe, or 70 when he got elected. 70, I believe. So, but I want to, we got the real question. How old do you think his hairpiece is? <laughs> <laughs> That's the real question. How old is his hairpiece? Man, that's that's been his style since day one. Hey, isn't it funny that a lot of rappers, a lot of people loved Donald Trump before all this, and then when he became president, all of a sudden he's the worst person in the world? But you got pictures of Snoop Dogg with him. You got pictures of every single celebrity with him loving him. They were talking about the um, one of the shows the other day. They were, they were talking exactly why they were saying that um, when you partied with Trump, you partied. He paid treats you to whatever you guys had a blast like it was just a party party that's the kind of guy he was and that's why everybody liked him but as soon as he got in that presidency it just everything changed this whole thing changed this whole demeanor that's why those people don't like him anymore we learned a lot about trump since he's been president like i've been following trump since he, he used to own a football team in the early 80s usfl but we didn't know how racially divisive he was until he got into the white house 
And in my opinion, I think he's very divisive. So I think that's why he turned off a lot of people. But prior to him being president, he was bling bling, you know, yeah, stacks of money. And hip hop loved him because he yeah. represented like Hunkers, you know, everything you know. of like uh, greed and and excess. And, you know, that's what hip hop is all about. So he definitely was embraced by a lot of people. But I think that racial divisiveness that he brought into the White House is what turned everybody off. Yeah, we, we've, we've never seen anything like that. And, and people say, oh, he's not rich. He's a bigot. There's no way. And I always tell people, look at this one. Anybody who's who was in their 20s and even their teens in the 50s and the 60s, especially if you're one of all those old senators, all those congressmen, they were all racist at one point. At one point, you can't come into my restaurant. You can't use our bathroom. And these guys now are these older politicians. So when people say he's not a bigot, no, he's a he's a he's. He's a bigot, and he's definitely... Because that was the time he grew up in. But, but, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So he definitely has some kind of prejudice. And, but his but, age doesn't excuse that. There's a lot of people in their 70s that um that are white that are not bigots or racist like that. But I, I think the, the the worst thing with, with Trump is uh, he doesn't admit it. Other people will make all kinds of excuses for him. But I think the worst thing really is that it's just the wealth that he has. And even a lot of these politicians, they don't know what's going on down here. That's why I say it doesn't really matter who's the president because down here it's a whole different world. And also, he he's had more people from his circle indicted oh, yes. in the than last three and a half right? years than any other president in history. I think like 250 yeah. or something. Like and it's always <laughs> And like, everybody ignores it. You know, everybody's ignoring it. It's like every other month there's someone getting indicted, whether they worked on his campaign. And they ain't just getting indicted. They're going to prison. But they are. But, but <laughs> that's a big difference. But, but he, They're going to prison. He changed the game, brother. He said fake news. <laughs> Once he said fake news, anytime somebody tries to throw something out, he says fake news. It could be real as hell, but he's going to say fake news just like his uh, his tax returns, 750 in 12 years? Jesus. No, uh, 750 for the last two years. No, but in 12 years combined, he supposedly got only, he only paid $750 combined in 12 years. For 10 years, he No, 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 like, it's the last two years. 16 and 17, he paid $750 each year. Prior to that, he didn't pay anything for like 15 years. Exactly. In 12 years, he's only paid $750. Same math. 15. Same math. 15. So, what is up with you? Hey, Mr. Black TV, I mean, I see you banging on him all the time on... Uh, I got your back, dog. <laughs> on Instagram, yeah. I'm and, uh, banging on him. The American Cholo, we got your back. Uh, what's up with you, Black? We'll, we'll rush that food, dog. Well, those to us. Initially, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a few things that I, I had issue with um, that go back last year. Um, the most recent thing is he, he misquoted the um, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in an interview he did with D.L. Hughley. And he corrected it. He realized he made a mistake, but he really he, he misquoted this guy tremendously. Uh, Farrakhan said to throw the throw the stone of, of knowledge. But I guess he didn't listen to the whole thing. And, and he made it seem like Farrakhan was encouraging people to throw stones and rocks at Jews, which was not what he said at all. So he edited that part and fixed it. But he never made a statement about the retraction. He, and he refused, based on the conversations that he's had with people that know him close, he refuses to apologize for misquoting this man, where in journalism, that's standard. Yes. If I misquote somebody the next day, I'm going to sit there and say, hey, my bad. I, I mean, I, I used to do it every week on the Gangster Chronicles, correcting my mistake of something that I may have said the week before. He just refuses to do it. And that's why a lot of people are on his head right now. But I had issues when he made the reparations statement in 2019, where he said that he supports reparations for black folks 
maybe in the form of education, which is not the way reparations works for any other groups that have received reparations in the past. Uh, I think education, giving a free education is the worst form of a reparation because uh, we can get free education. We don't need money to get education. And not everyone wants to go to college. And not college is not for everyone. And people who are deserving of reparations might be 50, 60, 70 years old. The last thing they think about is education. So I felt there was an undermining of all the hard people that are trying to get reparations for the descendants of slaves. And then here's another thing. Um, I interviewed him on the Gangster Chronicles back in 2019. And I asked him a question about paying people for interviews. Right. And as a journalist, it's something that I don't support. And it's, it's just not a good model for getting people to come tell their stories sincerely and honestly. And he had denied in a previous interview in 2018, he denied that he ever paid. But then he was on my platform and I knew for a fact he paid Keefe D. Now, Keefe D is the guy that was in the car um, with Orlando Anderson and a couple other guys when Tupac got killed. I knew Keefe D and I had spoke to Keefe D. I had a relationship with Keefe D. So I knew for a fact he paid Keefe D. So when he came on the Gangster Chronicles um, and he knew that I knew Keefe D. So he didn't deny that he paid him, but he did say that they had made an arrangement. So I, I pressed him a little bit more about let's speak on this because this is something that's important. We need to know that you're paying someone for an interview and he didn't want to go further at it. And I, I moved on. He didn't want to talk about it anymore. And then I moved on. Then he does an interview maybe six months later on Adam 22 on the no jumper. And he says, oh, yeah, I pay for interviews. He says it like it's no big deal. Like it's no big deal. He says, yeah, if I didn't pay for some of these interviews, you wouldn't get them. So then I'm like, OK, now you're 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 clearly admitting you pay for them. And here's the problem I have with it. Um he could easily afford to do that. When you have 4 million followers and you're getting, you know, $200,000 a month in AdSense, you can throw $2,000 at someone. That's his, um, believe it was what he was paying. That was his max, $2,000. Uh, but the problem with that is whenever you give someone money for an interview, you really don't know if you can trust that interview. Right. You, can, you don't know if you can trust the information that that person's saying. Not to say that everyone that gets paid will lie but now there's an obligation if you gave me two thousand dollars to sit here and talk i'm gonna be compelled to really give you some you know i might put extras on my answers and if you look at some of his interviews the keefe d one for example there's so much bs in that interview there's so much uh misinformation in that interview and i would say it's partly because you paid the man and you didn't do anything to let the listener and the viewer know what was correct or what was incorrect. He just let it be. And then I was surprised that he actually said he was asking an interview, what's one of your favorite interviews? And he said it was the Keefe D interview. And I think the Keefe D interview was one of the worst interviews. Um, I don't know if you read his book, but and I, I got an advanced copy of Keefe D's book because the co-author wanted me to write like a little intro on the book. Okay. So I said, well, send me, the, send me over the book first. Let me read it. So I read the book and there's a part in the book where Keefe D says when they pulled up on Tupac and Suge, Tupac was reaching for a gun so he can justify why they shot and killed Pac. Right. And I'm like, wait up, let me read this again. I said, in 20 something years, no one ever put a gun or, or said that Tupac was reaching right. when that car pulled up. And now all of a sudden, that's the narrative. 
And Vlad let him get away with that narrative in the interview. And it's just it's just a lie. And I think he's doing that to protect himself from future indictment, because even though a lot of people think that Keefe D got immunity. Right. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Say all this. Well, he he got immunity from the LAPD under um, an interview that he gave with Greg Hating. But that doesn't cover Nevada, where the homicide took place. Right. You know, Keefe D was looking at charges other charges in the city of LA when Greg Kading had pressed him and said, we want to know about the biggie killing and Greg and Greg Kading was another person I interviewed on, um, on the gangster Chronicles a couple months after, but Greg Kading's immunity and anything that they offered him in Los Angeles is not transfer to Las Vegas, nor does it transfer to the feds. If the feds want to indict Keefe D. Do you think there will ever be charges on anybody for that thing? Or I think they kind of just let it lie, and that's it. Hey, they just indicted little Doc Thong from East Coast Crib yeah, for a homicide that happened 17 years ago. What's the statute of limitations on homicide? There is none. There is none. So you think I'm just going to say, oh, they'll probably never indict Keefe D. They're just buying their time for something. I don't know, but I would never say it's never going to happen. Um, he's the only survivor of the four people in the car, so if anyone's going to get indicted, it would be him. Um, will the feds pull it? Do it? I don't know. Maybe if he starts making peace like Doc, they will. <laughs> but you know, Vlad, he's the one that BG, he was on BG Knockout. BG Knockout was on his thing when he yeah. said that Southsiders are rats, that we had permission to rat. He should have never let something like that come out, knowing that's not true. Well, the, you know what I mean? That's when they say the guy's a culture vulture. He likes to, I mean, that could instigate. Be, he likes to instigate not fights. A war. That could easily instigate wars and stuff like that. And to a point, I, I think it's kind of true because most people, Alonzo would know, I'm not putting this out. I'm not going to have this guy come out and just say that all South Sides are just they're rats. <laughs> You're making war. So I think, but I think he does it intentionally and he's, he's looking for the view. He's looking for the controversy. Absolutely. It's all about money for him. It's all about views and money. It's not about the culture. It's not about education. There's no artistic value put to it. It's just all about money. That's the bottom line. That's the only thing. And I think it was talk to him. And Vlad's response to my son was, well, I'm not losing any views. I'm not losing any subscribers. I'm not, my business is going good, so why should I apologize? Right. So that just means to me, you're only concerned to apologize about something only if it's going to affect your bottom dollar. Right. And if you got integrity, just apologize. And, you know, there's just so many issues with that dude. Um, I'm not jealous of him. Uh, I'm not trying to... I'm not a hater of him. There's just things about... Paying for interviews messes up the whole game. Yeah. It messes up your channel because if he paid Keefe D for an interview yeah. and you wanted to interview Keefe D, guess what Keefe D is going to say to you? Give me that money. I want some money. In yeah. fact, I could have had the Keefe D interview before he did it. Right. Keefe D asked me, um, can you give me some money? And I was like, I don't pay for interviews, dude. So then um, Reggie Wright Jr., who was my co-host on the Gangster Chronicles, he told me, that he was willing to pay Keefe D the money for him to come on my platform. And I said, that's the same thing. It's not, it's not that I don't have the money to give him. I think he was asking me for $700. I said, it's not that I didn't have $700. I just don't want to pay him $700 to not only to do the interview, but plus to start bullshitting. You take the game. Yeah, you take the game. Well, Noel G, the actor, wanted us to pay him. I was like, 
Hey, thank you very much. Have a good day. Like, nice there's nothing to talk about. I'm not paying you. No, and I don't I'll, care what you got. And, and that's the way to do it. And that's the way we have to do it. In journalism, you're not supposed to pay. Um, there was a guy that came out of Oprah Winfrey's camp, Dr. Phil. Uh, he did an interview of Octomom. Remember when oh, Octomom was famous? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Octomom was like, you're going to pay me. I'm not telling my story. So what does Dr. Phil do? He pays her. I think he paid her $200,000 for the interview. When it got out, what did Dr. Phil do? He denied it. Because he understands that that's not the way the game is supposed to be played. People are still going to do it, though. But they're going to do it sneakily, well, you know? I think we changed the game on that, especially in LA. It was a TMZ. TMZ, I think, is notorious for, for paying people for their stories. Do they? And that's, oh, yeah. That's yeah. why they get the stories like this, brother. They, they pay. They do. They pay for, like, video footage. You know, paying for video footage is something different because you're buying it from a private person right. and you want to put it on your show. You might pay for that. But when they're getting interviews from people coming out of the airport, those are just on the fly. Um, so I don't think they pay for those interviews, but they do put a lot of money out there to get the story, you know, to, to get the story. So if I know secret stuff about him, I can sell it to TMZ. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be worth that. <laughs> so th that's my big gripe because it does mess up the game for all these other platforms because... If you got four million subscribers and someone else only has a hundred thousand, there's no way to compete. Right. It's just like being against monopolies. We don't allow monopoly to happen in this country because it creates an unfair level playing field for the comp competition. When when he could afford to pay everyone two thousand or one thousand or two thousand or one thousand, he's going to displace all of us out the game, and he's doing it by violating a basic journalistic principle. You know what, with KPD, what's amazing to me, and it's both, and I'm, I'm going to beat the dead horse with, uh, with Biggie and, and Tupac, but like those cops, they got arrested a few weeks after shooting them, right? You're in Las Vegas, they shot Tupac in Vegas with all those cameras, and they couldn't make any arrests. I, it still kind of baffles me. Well, I spoke to Greg Kading about this, the LAPD that was detecting, um, that was investigating Biggie. He said in 96 in Vegas, you didn't have as many cameras as you might think they would have had. It wasn't like it is now. You know, 96 was, what, 24 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there wasn't as many cameras. And that's not, that's Las Vegas' fault. Las Vegas didn't want to investigate it. They didn't want all that drama to their city. Um, even. But they'll bust so, Jake. <laughs> they'll yeah. bust OJ. Jake. <laughs> and break them off. It's actually been, is it the 25th anniversary of OJ? Yes, it was. It was actually, because uh, I just interviewed Carl that's Douglas. Right, that's right. And, and we spoke about this. He said it was the 25th anniversary of the acquittal. Guilty or not guilty? Hey, they found him not guilty. And I think that's one of these cases that we'll never know the truth. Um, I paid attention very closely to that trial. F. Lee Bailey proved there was two sets of footprints in that blood. But only one man was charged, O.J. Simpson. Well, they said his buddy what may have been the other one. A.C. Cowlings. A.C. Cowlings. I have another theory. <laughs> a, I remember my father uh, told me this. Vincent Alonso, rest in peace. He told me O.J.'s son did that. Jason. Oh, his other one, yeah. He said his son did that. And, and my father went on into a whole you know, detail of why the son, he thinks the son did it. I got it on my own theory. What's that? Six nine. Okay. Yeah, six nine. Was six nine. nine. I, I personally, back then, I remember watching the trial. And I was busted when I was watching the trial. I was going for OJ. I really was. I, I still to this day, I think OJ did it. I did, but at the, I think at the time, the temperament of the country was, especially when you were in the ghetto, you're in the hood. We're gonna finally win one. And I was one of those young guys. I was saying, 
I don't give a shit if OJ is guilty. I wanted a, I wanted a not guilty plea, and and it was amazing how back then you had two different colleges. You had black college, you had a white college, and they're showing them lifetime when they said not guilty. Yeah, the black college jumped up <laughs> and was cheered, was cheering. Yeah. And I was with them at the time, and the, and the white colleges were just they couldn't believe it. But it, it, I think the OJ thing kind of brought the light of how injustice it is in America unless you got money or something. Well, it actually exposed the racism within the LAPD when Mark Furman testified. I mean, this guy was a known racist. And since the OJ Simpson verdict, I have met retired LAPD officers and other cops that knew like Furman was well known. In fact, um, another a cop actually told me that it might have been Furman that gave the Wilshire Division of the LAPD the nickname Nigger Division. Oh, shit. Yeah, they, they called it Nigger Division because apparently when if you were black and you came out of the academy in the 70s, you wanted to go where other blacks were and Wilshire was oh, where blacks. Man. So if he was a new recruit, he was like, I want to go work in Wilshire Division. So they called that Nigger Division within the police, right, and, you know, right, within the So, um a lot of us didn't know that until that O.J. Simpson trial when uh, Johnny Cochran was able to expose Mark Furman for, for using this word. And he probably used the word like on a daily basis. Of course. Yeah. Always. If it don't fit, you must acquit, man. And, and, he, and he won it. So did you do an interview with that with his attorney? Carl Douglas was one of the lawyers on the Dream Team. He worked under Johnny Cochran when Johnny uh, was making a name for himself. Um, Johnny came on the scene in the 70s. He goes all the way back to the Geronimo Pratt case back in uh, 71 when they uh, charged him with a murder that apparently he didn't do. It wasn't even in L.A. at the time. And it took him until 1997 um, for Johnny Cochran to get him out. But throughout the 70s and the 80s, he was making a name for himself. And then um, Carl Douglas graduated um, from law school, started working. He worked for the federal public defender and then got a job with Johnny Cochran in 1986. So he worked with Johnny Cochran from 1986 to 1998 for 12 years. And now Carl Douglas is one of the top civil rights attorneys. He sues the the police and he's won probably more judgments, um, dollar amounts than any other attorney in the history of America. If I have that correct, someone might be able to fact check me on that. But I think if you total up all of Carl Douglas's settlement wins, it's more than any other attorney has won. There was a, I don't know if it was a rumor, but they said Shapiro stepped down because he thought OJ was guilty. Have you ever heard that one? I will say you're going to have to wait for for the Carl Douglas interview, which will be coming out on street TV because Carl Douglas gives us some, some Robert Shapiro stories. So uh, I think we, we might actually, um, we might actually touch on that. So I don't want to answer that just yet. Yeah, there was, yeah. Uh, there was uh, something about. OJ whispering something to Shapiro or something. Yeah, was, well, I think a lot of us like that. saw the um, the FX series, right? Yeah. The, the yeah show. I think so I will tell you this. Carl Douglas did say that they used a lot of creative license in the TV show and they added some things that didn't oh, happen. Fair. So uh, we talk about that in the interview. Yeah, they talk about six signing it? I, I, <laughs> couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't watch it because they just put the Kardashians in there so much. So I was like, I was like, come on, man. You guys, they went from a, a good, solid show and they started throwing Kardashians and that's when I stopped watching it. I got a question for you. you You've been asking about, me a lot of questions. You talked about, <laughs> you talked about the reparations. I'll be completely honest with you. You haven't had anybody sway me yet. I am against it, but when I say I'm against it, it doesn't mean screw you guys. I, I heard you come up with different things that they can do. 
Because when I hear reparations, I, I hear everybody. And I'm like, well, the first thing, happened? but you got to find out if he's even for it. Yeah, he is. If you listen to the interview, you would listen. Well, yeah, my Vlad response. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just, as a taxpayer myself now, I, I hear that, especially in California, they got a, they got a committee going, they got Newsom's going to look into it. And as a guy from California, I'm like, dude, my tax is already too high, and that's going to be more money I got to pay. Who do you think should qualify for reparations, and what do you believe the reparations should be? Well, they already have different organizations that have tallied up uh, financial amounts that it should be. And I'm going to leave that in the hands of those people. But it's going to be a lot of money. And uh, the people that are entitled to it is anyone that is a descendant of a slave that that bled, sweated, built this country. That's going to be every black man from here to Mississippi. That's not true. Um, Not everyone is a descendant of slaves that, that are black in this country. Would you say you're a descendant? I'm not a descendant of any American slave, but I'm a descendant of a slave. From I actually traced my roots to a slave named Julian Alonso, where I get my name from. And he was a slave on the island of Curacao. Um, so the Dutch would owe me some money if I ever decided to do it. And here's the thing. All these other slave countries have given reparations from England to from from Holland, the Netherlands. Um, but America has never done it. But we've given money to different Native American tribes. We've given money to the Japanese for interning them during World War II. We've given money to the Jews. The United States has given money to the Jews, and they weren't even part of the Holocaust. Okay, but and we're talking about millions of dollars, millions. I'll tell you from from experience, they have not given major money to uh, to the majority of Native Americans. They, I will tell you that right now because I got an Indian number. They allowed Native they Americans to open up to own casinos. Casinos because that's, that's a, a that's federal, a reparation. That's federal law. No, that's on federal uh, federal. Uh, well, they, they just got hit to the game and said, we "Yeah, yeah." That's I mean, not federal property. Having but, a casino but, is huge. But what about Hispanics? Shouldn't they be getting reparations before anybody else? I believe that that the Latinos that are from the southwest of this part of this country deserve reparations as a result of the Mexican-American War of 1848 because all of this land was taken in an unlawful war. So shouldn't they be getting reparations before any other race? I don't know if it's before. I mean, that was the Why? war. Why? Because the slavery, the slavery wasn't around when this happened. Yes, yeah, so the slavery no. goes back to the 1600s I know, here I know, in the U.S. The, 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 the actual, um, before this became the United States, this was all Mexican land. No, so it was not. Be, there was no such thing as Mexico they were, they in the 1600s. They just found uh, uh, in Georgia, as uh, uh, where did the town of the pyramid? What, what kind of pyramid? Mayan period or something? Yeah, uh, uh, Mayan period. A uh, Mayan um Pyramid. Yeah, this was all so this is, Mayans. This is, yeah. And then so, go south, you had Aztecs and then Mayans. And then you had some Apaches in the northern part of Mexico where Arizona's at. So but when this was all Mexico, but it was before the United States took it. It was never Mexico. Well, you don't think this was all Mexico? This was, is all this property. This is the land they would they pay something like five hundred dollars or something. For in sixteen hundred, there was no yeah, Mexico was on no the Mexico map. Sixteen hundred, yeah, there was no Mexico. Sixteen oh nine, slaves started coming here. Sixteen oh nine. We had 13 colonies already, you know, yeah, from, yeah. from Georgia all the way to the Delaware, New York, New Jersey, the Carolinas. You're, you're a few hundred years old. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just asking. No, you know what, 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 what you're trying to say is what was, what was Mexico was California, New Mexico, Texas, you know, going that. And, and should there be reparations? Like he said, yes, I, I think I just don't think there's. But here's the problem with the reparations yeah. during the 1840 after the war, the Mexican-American War. Even though a lot of people say the United States took this land, 
They actually gave $15 million yeah. to the government of Mexico in 1852 or three. 15 million at that time, I don't know what that would be today, but that's a lot of money. So a lot of people argue, no, 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 America already gave the Mexican government $15 million after they took California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. So it's kind of hard to argue, but we can go back and say, was that a good deal? No, of course. Was that a good deal (laughs) as a result of a war? And that war was actually because of slavery. I'm not necessarily saying it to Mexico, but I'm saying for the, the Hispanic people. No, the I, people that I, were, I, I you know think, what I mean? I think we, it's hard to have reparations for people that immigrated here. If that's, if that's what I'm understanding. Well, we weren't immigrated here. We were already here. No, like you, for instance, your generation over here, there's a lot of people from Texas that are generational. They, they never were from, in other words, those guys literally the border crossed in. Here's the thing though. When, when Mexico actually did have the, the country borders, there were very few people that were living in the northern part of which is now the United States. The population of the people in Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, and Southern California was so low. Um, but here's crazy. I, I looked at this. Uh, it's called the Guadalupe Hidalgo Treaty. Okay. They were in Washington, D.C. debating where this border should be. There were those in Washington, D.C. saying we should take it all the way down to Mexico, where Mexico City is. They wanted to go that far south. And they were arguing in Congress where this border should be. And they finally agreed uh, the Rio, Rio Grande. And then, you know, they eventually created this border. And the reason why they picked that border is because it had the least amount of people that were from Mexico living there. So it wouldn't impact the population of Mexico because there weren't even a lot of people on that side. How about when people say, you know, and I kind of agree with it, they say there was never, like California especially, there was never any legal slavery in California, yet California wants to be the first state to pay out some money. That's, I, 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 you're right, and, but I agree with that. You know why? There were runaway slaves that left Louisiana, that left Texas, that left um, Mississippi and came to California. And guess how they got treated? Even though California was a free slave state, they sent the slaves back in some instances. Uh, it wasn't until we get to a case of uh, Biddy Mason, who was a slave from Mississippi. She came to California with a slave owner because the slave owner brought her here and, and she wasn't a runaway slave. She was granted her freedom. But the California courts were not always kind to runaway slaves. So that's the re- that's the justification for reparations coming out of the state of California because they didn't, they, they screwed some of the slaves through the court system. So you think, you really believe or you really feel that something you did years ago, okay, say you, and it goes farther down, way down your 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 kids' kids, your kids and kids and thought that they should get something because... You went through something? Because you're a descendant of it? Yes. Absolutely. You really? Absolutely. Why, why is that? I don't understand that. Because our identity is shaped by our history. Everything is related. I can directly tie my life to my great-grandfather and how he treated his grandfather because that's directly related to who? My dad. I can go back four generations and tell you how that, that my great-grandfather has had an influence on my life. So how far can we go back? If we're talking about slavery, we're talking about murder, we're talking about uh, abuse and free labor, that's has to have an impact on those people, their kids, their grandkids, and their great-grandkids. I can't, I can't identify with my great-grandfather, and his, his tribe got wiped out. No, but I'm mean? saying your no, great-grandfather had an impact on your grandfather. 
Okay. And your grandfather shaped your dad. All right. So I could actually go to specific things that my great grandfather did just because I do the research and I learned about them. But even if you don't even know who that person is, you can't deny the impact that your descendants have on your present. But, but I can. Because he can, he can. my father became a gang member, came off the reservation, became a gang member in East Los Angeles, went to prison, did all his bit. My grandfather, my grandfather, his father, was somebody that a stand-up, you know, Indian that started the tribe, and his father was the same way. You know what I mean? So they're they're whole different things, but they got killed and you know get captured or whatever back in the days when uh, when they were fighting for this country. Um, so I can't understand, like I can't identify with them. And it's not just through. it's just and, not, and they get paid for it. I'm well, like, well, let me give you another good example where it's, it's it's bigger than just who our descendants are. It's the practices and policies that were in place when our descendants were living. So, for example, South L.A. in 2020, the ghetto of South L.A. was shaped by housing practices that were established in the 1890s. So these housing practices in the 1890s, which restricted people of color from living in certain areas, only left this area for them to move to. Now, those housing practices became illegal in 1848 in the Shelley versus Kramer decision. But by 1948, but by 1948, the ghetto is already firmly established. And the 2020 ghetto is a direct extension of what was going on in 1948. So we have 100 years of the shaping of this ghetto that it was purely defined by what was being practiced into law uh, over a hundred years ago. Okay, so now that, that that white in '48, I mean that black in '48, or white in South Central. That's no, in, in 1948, it was becoming black, but th there was a so ruling. White flight, and then we started leaving. No, white flight came right after. In, in 1948, the Shelley versus Kramer decision made restrictive covenants illegal, because back in back then, and this was all going on through the whole country. Um, for example, the black community was confined by Slauson Avenue to the to the south and Washington to the north and Broadway to the to the west and Alameda to the to the east. You couldn't live outside of that box. If you tried to get a, a house or an apartment, it was a, there was a covenant on it. Only a white person could move there. And that was legal up from the 1890s. They wrote it into law around 1910. And it shaped that ghetto all the way up until 1848. Then when you get to 1849, I mean, 1949 and 1950, you start to see blacks moving on the other side of Slauson, right. moving west. So were Mexicans or Hispanics, and I don't know the answer to this, were they slaves here in the United States? They, they weren't slaves. They were second-class citizens, that's for sure. Okay, they were second-class yeah. citizens. And they were okay. under the restrictive covenants, too, yeah. because oh, right, right, the, right. the restrictive covenants were against all non-whites. Okay, no, yeah. I understand that. But I'm saying... Okay, so we're in the same predicament as black, the Hispanics. In terms of what? Right. In terms of as far as our ghettos and, the, and the, another everything. Stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of parallels in terms of the housing practices and the shaping of the ghettos and how like it's no it's no coincidence that Boyle Heights is is designed the way it is with the with the Mexican Americans and Mexican immigrants moving there because that was the settlement place where they were restricted to let's say. At the turn of the 20th century, around the early 1900s. I would think, I thought it was all Jews and Orientals. It was Jews. Yeah. But at that, at that time, guess where did the Jews go then? 
They left for the yeah, West Side. Yeah. They yeah, went to Fairfax. Yeah, yeah. So all of that was Jewish in the 18... We're, now you're going, you're going further back when it was Jewish and Italian. We're talking about 1880, yeah. 1890. But then by the time you get to 1900, 1910, you have Mexicans coming in there and slowly the Jews start moving out. Okay, so that still tells me the Hispanic community should be getting reparations. I agree that the uh, Hispanic... Of, you know what I mean? I don't think it should just be a black thing. If they're going to get reparations, it should be to Hispanics too. There's, there's a lot of discrimination that the Hispanics endured in L.A., but the reparations that we're specifically talking about is the descendants of slaves. Okay, but we're, we're, we are not descendants of slaves, but we're in the same position that the black community is in now. I would disagree with this, the same position. Uh, there yeah, are the same communities, the same ghettos, the same kind of structural problems, right? Am yeah, right? But, but the but the blacks have a longer history in these ghettos under these conditions than Mexican Americans, Mexicans, and Mexican Americans do. So it's a time thing. It's been but centuries to, to to a point. Yes and no. Like with me, I come from Honduras, man. I come from a thorough country. I remember being a thorough country. And I can tell you that uh, that uh, a guy in the hood in South Central. That thinks he's living in the worst condition in the world. Got a flat screen TV, got some nice Jordans, got some nice rims in his car, and he's thinking he's at the bottom of the barrel. Go to Honduras, you're middle class, man. I, I've heard of those same stories from my uncles in Puerto Rico, because uh, I, I, I thought I lived poor when I was born in New York, and then I got to hear his poor stories, and it just kind of completely overshadows anything you've ever been through as a kid. What, 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 I, what I love about Chalonzo is. You come with the answers, you come with the facts, you come with the points, brother, and uh, it was a pleasure having you come on today. Man. Uh, anything else, you can have the last word, my man. Oh, man, I appreciate it, man. Um, I love supporting independent journalism. Uh, I believe that we need to support each other out here to get our platforms growing, especially platforms that contribute to our knowledge, contribute to the culture. And uh, you're, you're a platform that I'm going to be supporting for many years to come. And whenever you need me to come, That's right, brother. Um, you know, I'm here. Remember, we got your back against Vlad, dog. We'll work that <laughs> thing, dog. You know, and let, let me just say that I'm I don't have nothing. I have nothing against him as a person. I don't want people to, I'm, I'm not part of this cancel him right. and all of that. But um, I, I do have issues with the style of journalism that he does because it does affect other platforms. Just imagine, Gil, if you had to pay every person that came in here to do an interview. It's not sustainable. And sometimes we have videos that are demonetized. I might have this great dude that I want to interview, but then after I, I post the videos because he said something that the algorithm didn't like, yeah. it gets demonetized. So even paying someone $500 or $600, it doesn't make business sense because we can't predict whether a video is even going to help our platform grow anyways. Right. So that's the, that was my whole thing against him. I don't, I don't want anyone to think I'm hating on him. I mean, this has been a longstanding debate within journalism for years. Um, I don't think that we should bow down to it and get to the point where that becomes the norm. I say we rush on. <laughs> no, I just I just don't want that to become the norm that, oh, we got to pay a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars. And I'm glad that the people who do pay it and get caught, they're embarrassed for it. Like Dr. Right. Phil, Dr. Phil shouldn't have paid uh, Octo Mom $200,000 for an interview. That's just ridiculous. Shout out to your channel. Street TV, um, also Street TV podcast. I just uploaded the first episode. Um, check that out. And um, streetgangs.com. You can find me there every day, any day.